2: In a world of conflict and strife, there is but one fact we all can agree upon. Everybody loves Hugo. (laughs) Born to humble surroundings, Hugo Reyes has always been a beacon of light for all who crossed his path. Hugo's lifelong love affair with Chicken led him to acquire and then expand the Mr. Klux chain into a worldwide phenomenon. The exponential growth of Hugo's success was startling. But financial success wasn't the end, it was the beginning. Hugo and giving became synonymous. Parks, playgrounds, hospitals, the Mr. Cluck's house for children. The philanthropy was unparalleled. Which brings us to this evening and the opening. Of the Hugo Reyes Paleontology Wing at the Golden State Natural History Museum, a lasting beacon of culture that bears the name of one of our city's greatest benefactors. Ladies and gentlemen, our man of the year.
3: Oh my God, it's an upset and it's a tie. It's Josh Wiggler and Mike Bloom. Yeah, that's right. Oh my god, loss is over, but we have to go back down the hatch of the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recap Socket Season Six, Episode Twelve. Everybody loves Hugo and Mike. Can you believe it? It would seem that everybody loves us too. I wasn't prepared for this. You just, like us! You I really like, like us! I well, want I did check the reviews recently so I
4: hope so. Uh, there's so many people I want to thank. I want to thank of course Count Jacula, uh DJ Dom, uh the phrase coming out. Uh we would not be here if it wasn't So you
3: knew the drill from the beginning?
4: Absolutely. So thank you. Oh thank you so God. much. I don't know why our trophy is also a dinosaur, <laughs> but <laughs> We'll split it up.
3: Oh, my God. I'll take the butt because, of course. Uh, what a lovely time. Uh, thank you to everybody who, uh, who, who be- bestowed this prestigious award that we're not entirely sure what it yeah, wait, actually so, is.
4: So, is it a committee decision? to Pierre Chang single-handedly decide yeah, who gets it is? Yeah, I think so.
3: I think so. Oh my God. Well, sorry to Hugo Reyes, but everybody loves you anyway, as loss is over, but we have mm-hmm. to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast. It's everybody loves Hugo, season six, episode 12, Mike Bloom. And everybody does. Everybody loves Hugo.
4: Yeah. I mean, listen, uh look no further than the MVPs to know how much everybody does love Hugo, no matter what universe you reside in. Josh, what realm of afterlife or current life, everybody loves Hugo. It should be noted, this is the last lost episode proper to focus on just one character, and considering not only how it pairs with numbers, which I believe Hurley was the last season one character to get a flashback episode— But also, where things end up going in the direction of the show feels very apropos.
3: Yes, absolutely. I think that the sideways uh, intro, at the very least, if not the whole thing, the sideways intro is extremely satisfying to me. Uh, When you think about this world as sort of the what came next for these people after their lives, it seems very reflective of a very successful run on the island for Hugo Reyes, Mike.
4: Well, we talked about this, right? About how. This lens of possibly the Flash sideways being viewed as if the characters created this world, you know, how did they think about themselves and how did they voice that upon their circumstances in this world? And the fact of the matter is, Hugo Reyes made out like gangbusters yes. in the afterlife, right? He's the luggest man in the world. He's a multimillionaire uh has apparently mr klux's franchise to the great pyramids of giza mm-hmm. even probably one of the he might honestly josh be like the elon musk of the flat sideways
3: <laughs> and that is a world oh, i no. want to live in that's so odd what a strange thing not everybody loves elon musk uh but everybody loves hugo everybody
4: yeah, he, hurley appeared on snl dressed up as wario and people loved it
3: everybody loves uh elon cluck uh is uh, <laughs> that's they the,
4: what they call him they're like we don't even know what an elon musk is but it feels right. To him, cluck. Cluck.
3: mr cluck uh, it's it's really satisfying to see the the victory lap for Hurley when you know that he is going to be left in charge of the island by the end of the show uh, that he is going to be the protector of this place he's going to be the person who made life better for people uh, once his reign over the island began and the way that he is sort of feeded here at the start of the episode in the sideways um, feels like sort of an almost like an epilogue to the show uh, in, in some ways. <laughs> Except which,
4: for the literal epilogue that we're
3: going to talk about. Correct. But, you know, it's it's like an out-of-place epilogue of sorts that feels, I don't know, really nice. It feels good. I like it. I really, really do. So this is Everybody Loves Hugo. Um, it's a really great Hurley episode. It's, you know, uh, I don't think that you love this episode that much, Mike. I don't want to speak uh, for mm. you. It's fine. Yeah. Like,
4: it honestly is fine for me i think i like it more than the other like cursed even number episodes we have so far in the form of recon and the package uh you know there's there's some interesting character stuff here some moderately good stuff there's some stuff that i really don't like sure uh, that i'm sure we'll get into and the on island stuff you know i think we talked about last week one of the strengths of happily ever after is like the the small amount of time we spend on the island and now we get that in droves this episode that You know, this very much feels to me like one of those chess pieces episodes getting everyone, getting the merge to happen at the end here where Jack ends up staring down John Loki with some character sprinkles thrown on top. So I can't say I absolutely love it, but... There are certainly things to appreciate, much like I would say about every season six episode, even the least regarded ones.
3: Um, I think what you just said, the word merge, is certainly going to be evocative for fans of a certain other island television show known as Survivor. Uh, and it is for me as well. And I think it's a really valuable way to kind of look at where we are in the final season of the show, uh, where, you know, we're not talking about the sole survivor necessarily, but we are talking about who will be the final candidate to take over mm-hmm. the island and protect this place. That's one thing thing uh and for another we are going to have the stories collide by the end of this episode and there's going to be a lot of scrambling uh along the way in this one there will even be whispers in the home stretch very survivor mike uh, yes exactly
4: it's a live island uh, it's a lot uh, ironically enough a lot of dead people are the ones doing the whispering
3: uh so i i think that there are ways in which the final stretch of survivor and the final stretch of lost season six uh Kind of, uh, sync up. In some ways, <laughs> and it's not like uh, you know, it's still not the best run of lost by any stretch of the imagination. And I think some of the episodes that we're coming up against are more good than great, though. I do think that there are um, there are going to be some real bright spro- uh, bright spots still ahead, and I think even bright spots in this one. But this one does feel to me talked about out of place epilogue qualities about the uh, the first scene of this. Um, but I feel in some other ways that this is this is almost a prologue to the final act of the show. Starting with the mm-hmm. last recruit, it really feels like we are finally in the end game of Lost.
4: Yeah, because we had had these two groups separated for a good portion. Really, Dr. Linus, right? That that sort of maligned ending by us was those almost its own pseudo-merge with Jack's group coming together uh, with sort of the remnants of the temple. And now, after hanging out on the beach for what feels like forever... Now we finally have purpose, albeit it comes at the cost of uh, getting rid of Richard Alpert's first escape plan and Alana alongside it. It really does feel like one of those transition episodes where I think we are phase shifting into what is ultimately going to be the final form of this of, okay, Jack has sort of been kept at arm's length from the big bad of season six. Now what happens? It very much has that energy. So again, it's very much like necessary to get them into that place. You mentioned it. This is also an episode that I think ticks. I wouldn't say this was a fairly big mystery, but I think still one of those things that people at least hoped got addressed in season six as to the identity of the Whispers. I think we that didn't... the Whispers
3: was a huge mystery. I think that people really wanted an answer to this. And I I'm think... trying to remember
4: because I feel like it wasn't the Whispers didn't pop up as of late. right? Like This was one of those season one <sighs> mysteries to the point where it was the, the ending of uh, Solitary, but I feel like it had been a while since we've actually had experienced them.
3: No, we experienced them as, as recently as the season six premiere, you know, when they're on their way to the temple. how How quickly we hope to forget everything that happened there. <laughs> but,
4: oh yeah, I think that's why. I think I blocked it from my
3: memory. But it does you're You know, gonna,
4: you're gonna have to kiss me, Josh, for me to remember everything at the temple.
3: Yeah, wake up, Mike. Uh, but we do, uh, we do experience the whispers in relation to the others, and I have talked about how my head canon for the whispers is that the whispers, as explained in this episode, being as Michael tells us, the ones that can't move on, so effectively ghosts, right, haunting mm-hmm. the island, um, are in league, are aligned. With the others in some capacity, that the others have shown up when the whispers have manifested. You could either imagine it as the whispers are showing up to warn our our heroes when the others are about to strike, or that the whispers show up on behalf of the others. It's possible that there's complexity to the uh, Mm, to the whisper audience. Mike, multifaceted
4: ghosts. Some are on the same side.
3: Some are benevolent. Some are not. um, But. I actually think that there are ways to sort of headcanon the explanation that we get here in a way that is satisfying. It's not a problem for me anymore. I used to think that this was very hokey and cheesy and a stupid explanation that flew in the face of the, uh, of the instances of seeing the whispers that we've had in the past. I don't really feel that way anymore. And in fact, uh, I kind of, I think that the scenes that we get with Michael and that final scene with Michael, especially kind of beautiful in, in certain ways of just the, the, the idea of how you can, you could be gone and still be plagued by regret and shame and everything like that. And it adds a little bit of strength even in my mind to, uh, the, the final epilogue of the whole show, The New Man in Charge, that's Hmm. sort of, um, one of the narrative, um, you know, the narrative, uh, core of that epilogue is Ben and Hurley going to get Walt to bring him to the island because he might be able to help his dad. So I feel like the moment that you get with Hurley and Michael in this episode really stays with Hurley. And as Hurley is trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do now that he's in charge of the island by the end of the show, that this is one of the first items on his to-do list. I think it's kind of nice. Um, so I'm good with the Whisper stuff. What I'm not good with, and in fact I am worse with as time goes on, and really hated on the rewatch here, is what they do to Alana. I think it's horrible. I think it's really trashy and shitty. Um, and it is uh, it, it's, it's especially bad it comes after, you know, the only other scene we get of Alana in this episode. It's like a really good Alana scene where she's a very kind person to Hurley. She does not deserve to be treated the same way that Damon Lindelof treated his high school science teacher by blowing him up on television
4: not even a commercial break to send off ilana it just cuts to another scene in the middle of the act break
3: yeah uh it's really it's really bad i i dislike it mike i dislike it quite a bit uh and we'll talk about why once we get to it uh we will of course unfortunately have to listen to it uh as one of the sounds here today um so that's everybody loves you go sort of in a nutshell i think i like this one more than more than you do i think that the hurley and jack scene that comes up later in the episode is really really good i think it's a good jack episode i think it's a really great hurley episode Um, and I think that it would be frankly even higher for me if not for what they do to Alana. I think that that's going to give it a little bit more of a demerit than I even expected. Um, leaving last week talking about happily ever after and kind of looking ahead towards this one. Um, Let's, we're going to start getting into it pretty soon. Of course, uh, you can send your feedback in, folks. We need your feedback. We especially need your star ratings, which you can send to down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We're here in the home are, stretch. Are, are, they,
4: are they star ratings? I never assumed that they were star ratings.
3: Uh, 4.2 stars, I believe, is what we called them. Yeah, 4.2 stars.
4: So. I just never thought about a quarter of a star, so I guess I haven't really given myself that image yet
3: yeah percentages of stars you got to start thinking about it uh is it too late to change it What do you want to call it now? Is there
4: another image we should put in there instead, like uh, Fish Biscuits?
3: (laughs) It's way too late for Fish Biscuits. (laughs) Oh,
4: yeah. Well, listen, we're going back to the cages in a couple episodes, so maybe not too late.
3: Folks, send us your Fish Biscuits uh, (laughs) uh, from a scale of 0 to 4.2 Fish Biscuits. We want to know, what are your ratings for these episodes for any episode of Lost? Because while we are in the home stretch of the final season of Lost and the official rewatch of Lost, Down the Hatch is not quite over yet, and we have plans for the other side. Of season six, and we need your participation. So please don't be shy. Send them in your ratings from zero to four point two to down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. It's also the place to send us your feedback. You can also send us feedback by tweeting us at roundhoward at a Mike Bloom type. That's me, that's Mike. You can interact with us as well in the post show recaps patron discord by becoming a patron of post show recaps. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. At the ten dollar level, you get access to the down the hatch channel where you can talk to all all your fellow hatchlings about all sorts of Lost-related shenanigans. At the $5 level, you get access to the Post Show Recaps campus for the patrons, where we watch uh, Lost on Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, is when we are watching new episodes of the Rewatch. So coming up next, the last recruit is going to be coming your way very soon here on, uh, what is that? That's going to be November 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the Post Show Recaps patron campus. Sign up. $5 at patreon.com slash post show recaps to join us for that one and also to get episodes of down the hatch a couple days early. It's another benefit of being a patron of PSR. Um, Mike, let's throw this to our sponsors really quick, a quick ad break, and then we will be back and we will go forth into the jungle to discuss Everybody Loves Hugo. Stay tuned.
0: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope
1: with Victoria Cash.
2: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: All right, everybody, let's go forth into the jungle. We're talking about Everybody Loves Hugo, directed by Dan Atayas, written by Kitsis and Horowitz. It's another Kitsis and Horowitz jam.
4: And I believe this is the last one that they singularly work on together. I believe they do do uh, they do do what they died for, but I believe Elizabeth Sarnoff hops on as a third. So I think this is the last proper episode that the two of them are going to write together and only together.
3: Uh, bon voyage, Kitsis and Horowitz. Once upon a time, we knew ye. Uh, so great, yeah, and, they're,
4: and they're probably getting ready because I believe Once Upon a Time it pre- premieres in 2011. So they're probably getting ready to to gear up for that one. They're as probably
3: well. in the gearing up phase. I would I would guess that that's right um it originally airs april 13th 2010 uh that's this episode not once upon a time when did once upon a time start let's see uh,
4: probably the fall of 2011
3: yeah the fall of 2011 october so i, I don't know oh, that's it's october that's... 2011 is when once upon a time so they have like a year before you know a little more than a yeah. year and a half October so.
4: 23rd Lost number 2011
3: Ooh, wow uh that's that's lovely uh so they got some time before they have to start thinking about all the fairy tales of once upon a time um but it's a fairy yeah, and tale Happy ending After was
4: last week so maybe they had that already burning about in their head
3: so it's a fairy tale ending for hugo reyes uh as here he is a dead man getting feted on stage with a tyrannosaurus rex trophy pretty cool <laughs> mom
4: yeah so this is a really fun montage uh, we get some some real life jorge garcia in here i'm pretty sure the baby picture is real i would say so there's a picture of hurley with a chihuahua it turns out it's his real life dog which is nice but like josh why isn't a shih tzu it mm. should be a shih
3: tzu right <laughs> can we just headcanon it that in the sideways chihuahuas are shih tzus
4: is it that weird thing of, well, in this universe, there yeah. is no such thing as a Chihuahua. It's actually just all dogs are Shih tzus. All dogs <laughs> are Shih
3: Tzus in the Flash sideways. So
4: um, poor Vincent is going to enter this universe and turn out to be very different from what he once was. Yeah,
3: uh, Vincent, but maybe that's what he always wanted to be. Um,
4: yeah, so- this is also where we find out that Hurley apparently has like an experimental farm, which I found super sort of out of nowhere in the middle of the slideshow.
3: All of the various things that you find out about Hurley in the slideshow are amazing. So what was the experimental farm that he has in real real life is that the island is an experimental farm i feel like uh that explains the polar bears
4: well i think you know what it is in the experimental farm i think in the flash sideways has got to be for dipping sauces uh-huh. right this dude was <laughs> obsessed with dipping sauces when yeah. he was part of dharma i think he brought that into the afterlife with him as this chicken magnet
3: uh i think that he may be yeah he's just a, he's attracting chickens left and right this chicken magnet uh i think that that's good i like that i like that he's been farming for sauces
4: <laughs> yes yeah, he's the old sauce farmer and because hurley's the luckiest man in the world he hit a pocket of like untouched ranch. He's i'm fracked so from I'm ranch
3: s- my brain is so diseased at this point mike that i was in my mind thinking what's the sauce man equivalent of saul the drillman so i came up with farm the sauce man farm um, the
4: sauce man which is
3: not a name
4: <laughs> farm is not a name but it can be in this world
3: uh farm would be a good name for something farm wiggler no no hmm. No, so. that's more of a command than a person. Do you person. think that the farm has anything to do with Ray Mullen and his peaches slash pears?
4: I mean, listen, he wasn't the, the random the mechanic sauces. that helped Kate out of her handcuffs. So, like, I would imagine he might have been recruited by Hurley. Maybe uh, the pot farmers that Locke stayed with once upon a time got recruited by Hurley as well. Like, all of the agrarian people that these the 815 encountered got kind of schlepped onto Hurley's ranch farm.
3: Here's uh, Hurley's mother who is very mad that Hugo does not have uh, a relationship. Uh, women don't love Hugo. Everybody else does, is what she says. You need a woman, Hugo.
4: Yeah, and this is a fun mirror because I believe the very first scene we see of her in numbers, right, is when Hurley comes home from Mr. Clucks, and that's what she complains about. I will say uh you know no david reyes in this does make me question did he make it into this oh, reality no. uh i mean maybe maybe it's just that hurley only had a plus one which you but i would imagine that you you're, if you're the benefactor you probably get more than a plus one i this would type think of thing, so right?
3: maybe it's just cheech's uh availability hopefully i want to believe that this worked out um yeah,
4: exactly because again much like we talked about last week of like what does desmond working for Whitmore mean in this universe if Hurley's there without, you know, his dad that he, he was able to, to, you know, make up with in the very nice years of his life, if he's not there. What does that say?
3: What does that say? I don't know. I kinda hope that uh listen, you know, David Reyes may have his own baggage that he has to work through before he can wake up, right? He has to work up to being worthy of Hugo and his wife again. So uh so maybe he and Carmen have some kiss in the finale that was cut from the final episode that wakes him up. <laughs> yeah, and
4: then what is it, the image of the two of them bumping uglies and Trisha Tanaka <laughs> right when Hurley's overhearing <laughs> it?
3: Da, 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 da. <laughs> thank you um <laughs> oh, <no.
4: laughs> that's what he says after he comes out like oh thank you thank
3: you um so uh she's setting him up with a girl named rosalita uh you know this is a lot this is a lot yeah, and
4: also uh it is revealed even though david's out of the picture it seems like grandpa tito's doing well because right? i believe it's grandpa tito's neighbor's daughter so unless this is posthumous good. and tito has double
3: died good Good. We're happy about this. Um, on the island, um, Hurley is talking to Libby's grave. He wonders why she doesn't ever come by. Uh, you know, because,
4: because uh, they hired Cynthia Watros to make the most weird cameos between then and sad.
3: now. Yeah. She's the one ghost who never showed up, apparently. Um, she never visits him. Uh, but Alana comes by, uh, and says, Hurley, we got to get going. We're going to, we're going to get dynamite from the Black Rock. Uh, We're going to, you know, figure out what's going on with all of that. Richard has the plan. We're going to follow through the plan. But she's not so busy that she cannot stop and ask Hurley, hey, whose grave is this? And Hurley goes on to say, well, this was Libby. We liked each other. We were going to go on a date. It was a picnic. And then she was murdered. And Alana takes a beat and very respectfully says and empathetically says, I'm sorry. And then respectfully leaves to give him some privacy and some space alana stand-up individual
4: yeah i mean i wonder if this is also like a post i'll have you alana
3: right where she's like
4: you know what maybe these candidates and other people aren't so bad after all you know i I might as well take the time to get to know them if i'm supposed to protect them
3: yeah she's like well i'm a character on the show i should interact (laughs) with the other characters on the show like five minutes yeah you know it's a nice
4: moment i like it I think, I think it's sweet. Uh, and, you know, Hurley gets to, to meet someone new right before he's about to see someone old.
3: Yes, and so here he is. Michael Dawson shows up, and Michael's only season six appearance is this episode, Harold Perrineau, coming back one last time, and he's here to stop Hurley from getting everybody killed. Fairly bold, Mike, uh, that Michael would show himself to Hurley, but I guess it makes sense, considering he is somebody who has also blown up, yep, that he would yep. be Concerned for other people to blow up as well. Maybe Michael's working theory at this point in time, Mike, is the whispers are the ones who can't move on and are also the ones who were blown up. Uh, well, I think
4: it's that you can't move on because all pieces of you have are, been scattered to the four too, corners of the world. It's too hard
3: to assemble. The assembly we can't put you yeah. back
4: together. Yeah, I, I actually, the more I think about this with Michael, because initially you think this thing is like a wink and a nod, right? Of like, all right, let's bring in Harold Parano for the final season. But I think going back to Meet Kevin Johnson and sort of like the moral quandary that Michael faced there back when he thought he was going to blow up a boat of innocent people with that bomb that Ben planted for him, I actually like Michael being the one to express this POV here, right? For him to come through and say, this, it's a its a catastrophic thing that happens, and I just want you to know like how disastrous it would be if it happens. What I don't love is him basically telling Hurley if it happens, it's your fault because I warned you. Right. Like, that's a little bit of that season one and two Michael eking through of being a bit rash and a bit blunt. But I think this actually, outside of the cameo, does have connections to the last days of this character back in season four.
3: Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I get that for sure. I think that there's also a piece of it, though, that is maybe Michael trying to, to light a fire under Hurley's butt, as it were, uh, and, you know, make sure that he's going to do something that's not going to get everybody killed because Michael can't stand to, if he feels like he knows that this is going to get these people killed, uh, that uh, he he can't abide having been involved in, in that again or standing by and having done nothing. So mm. even if it takes extreme measures, to encourage Hurley to, to action, to inspire him into action, he's gonna he's gonna take it. Um, I do love that he emerges from the plants. Uh, oh yes,
4: very true. That's where he comes out of. Ghost Plant I'm Michael. To remember- I'm trying to remember when he was Kevin Johnson, was he wearing the same hoodie as what he uh, assumingly is living in purgatory
3: I, with? I think that these are his ghost clothes. Yeah. I think that he's wearing, uh, the, the same thing that he wore when he died. I'm pretty sure it's close. I'd have to go back and check and I'm, I'm not going to do that mid podcast right now, but I think that that sounds right to me. It looked at least close enough.
4: Because I would also love if he's like, relaxing in his Ghost Recliner. He's like, oh, shit,
3: what's Hurley doing,
4: man? And he has to, like, get out in his sweats and his hoodie to be like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm not dressed up for the occasion, but you leave me no choice.
3: Yeah, so he's talking to Hurley, and Hurley is like, you know, Hurley doesn't get super angry all that often it's not like he's never gotten super angry before lest we forget the time that he tackled sawyer into a tent Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. you know we've seen this before from hurley but this is sort of the more serious you know stiffening up of hurley when he sees michael is like what are you doing here dude uh you know which i'm I'm also
4: i'm looking at photos now on lostpedia and michael was wearing a button-down shirt when he said quote when he saw quote unquote christian shepherd so So he, he
3: got the ghost hoodie off of the ghost rack
4: yeah he became uh, listen josh he became literal ghost protocol so yes, i think it makes sense
3: yes yes my favorite move put up the hoodie ghost Prots. we're underway uh so uh we're gonna get people is it jack who walks up who are you talking to her he's like nobody yeah.
4: well i also again jack is uh, jack's a fantastic wingman in this episode like his attitude at this point is just like yeah i'll go wherever man uh and so the fact that he just walks in and asks hurley who is he talking to you know i I think a different form of jack which we might talk about in this episode would be sort of like hurley what's going on with you who are you talking to but at this point you know jack was aware that hurley had been talking to jacob and so he just sort of treats it with a nice nonchalance of yeah you do this thing now. It's weird, but it's okay. I'm with the island now, so yeah. Who you talking to? I'm curious.
3: Yeah. Um. All right. So let's go to the sideways. Uh, Hurley's at a restaurant alone eating chips. Yeah,
4: so we're at Spanish Johnny's, uh, which apparently is a Bruce Springsteen reference. So apologies, I don't have a, a song parody queued up, but apparently, uh, Adam, uh, Adam Adam Harwitz is a huge fan of Springsteen as well. So they threw this in here.
3: That's really fun. Um, Libby shows up. This is not Rosalita. This is not who Hurley thought he was going to meet.
4: Did Rosalita ever show up? You think, or do you think Hurley like booked it out of there as soon as he saw the Santa Rosa van?
3: Rosalita is also a Springsteen reference.
4: Oh, I didn't even realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's a yeah. song. Uh, Maybe could this have been a cameo for Bruce Springsteen to show up?
3: What is the boss as Rosalita? like? The Rosalita? Bo- the new boss in charge. Uh, oh no! You know
4: what? It could have been. It could be like. I want to talk to your boss. These homemade tortilla chips are terrible. And Bruce B is like, is there a problem here? Yeah.
3: <laughs> he comes out. <laughs> this is what I always wanted to do when I died. Uh, so You get sh- your ass out of here and don't go back to our location on Thunder Road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's Libby. Uh, and she knows Hurley, uh, but doesn't, can't exactly explain it. Uh, you know, she's holding his hands. It's like, Hugo, do you believe that two people can be connected like soulmates? And hurley to his credit doesn't just stand up and run away being like ah see that's stranger danger, that stranger danger stranger danger
4: it shows that at least there's some essence of like enlightened hurley here right where libby says if i tell you you're gonna think i'm crazy and he goes no i won't and maybe this speaks to we talked about this a bit last week and libby's gonna speak to her herself this idea of just this hankering of i have no idea who you are but i feel like i should trust you and confide in you but yeah Hugo's a great lending ear for someone who is institutionalized that walked up to him and said, like, I know you from another life.
3: Yeah, uh, he's pretty steady. Uh, And then here comes Dr. Brooks, uh, Senator (laughs) Kelly himself, Bruce (laughs) Davidson returning. Not on my bingo card of people that I expected to see again on Lost by the end of the run, but all right, sure.
4: Yeah, so I guess we can speak about this more in the conversation with Dr. Brooks, but this was chatted a bit about in the Discord so, is there some logic here that, much like we talked about with Eloise, that, like, maybe the universe wants to keep these people separated until a particular moment, and maybe Dr. Brooks and Santa Rosa, like, made Libby institutionalized because Hurley wasn't ready yet to wake up? From that perspective, is this more so that just, because, assumingly, Libby helped create the universe, because she's in the church at the end, that, you know, she decided to put herself in here for whatever reason? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I really do wish we knew more about Libby, Mike. I gotta I say. Know.
4: Looping back to our, uh, you know, season two conversations.
3: I really, really do. All of the different times we've brought Libby back, just not to address her history at all, uh, is so odd to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm still just good with time traveling, Dave marrying Libby. I have not been presented with a better alternative, (sighs) Mike.
4: So speaking of that, because elaborate on that, because how does that, because I know it does factor into the fact that as Hurley brought up earlier, Libby is the only one who hasn't visited him. Is it less of a trepidatiousness and more that she physically cannot?
3: Why? Because her body has traveled through time?
4: I guess so, right? That, like, she has already (laughs) traveled back and can't be... I mean, we did talk about how ghosts can possibly time travel. I think we talked about that with Charlie. uh, But I wasn't sure
3: with Libby. Oh, man. Maybe uh, Ghost Libby is saving her appearance to uh, show up in front of uh, the uh, the past Libby, who is future Libby, right? Mm. When future Libby shows up. And meets Hurley on the island that past ghost Libby is gonna have a an it's okay conversation with future libby uh and the ghost I guess is even further future Libby. <gasps>
4: This is like the end of Twelve Monkeys. It's not you know, really worth we're, doing. We're the, we're in the airport right now, in uh-huh. a different type of airport.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so she's uh, taken back by Doctor Brooks to Santa Rosa in the van.
4: So they were just going for a trip to Spanish Johnny's. I don't understand do. it
3: honestly. Like, okay, group field trip, Spanish Johnny's. <laughs> we're going.
4: What's Mexican? <laughs>
3: yeah, it's just such an odd use of the of the van uh, for a trip to Spanish Johnny's. But
4: no, I don't know. I, I talked about this when we were. Watching those along. loaded nachos I, I, I guess i am fortunate enough that i i do not have anyone in my immediate life who did uh or was institutionalized i never understood the whole like voluntarily sign yourself in and out it's for, you know
3: varying degrees of stuff you know i think right. is, I mean, is I mean, the I point
4: i talked about this on the x files podcast actually several weeks ago i just i didn't understand it where like let me could go maybe she wanted to go and everyone's like oh yeah could we go with spanish johnny's dr brooks like fine i'll drive the van i'll yeah. be your miss
3: frizzle no he probably wanted it as well uh <laughs> how could you resist um so we go back to the island and the thing happens let's listen sound one
1: all right let's go we have to make it to the outriggers and across the channel to hydra island before nightfall
5: you yeah, have a dynamite
1: four sticks enough to destroy the cockpit
2: and all the instruments. That plane will never fly. Um, I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, for one thing, that stuff's really unstable. You have to trust me. I've been training my whole life for this. To blow stuff up.
1: To protect you.
2: Yeah, but how is blowing up the plane protecting us? With that plane gone, that thing won't be able to leave the island. Yeah, well, neither will we. And then we'll be stuck here with it, and they'll be angry at us. Jacob said Richard would know what to do. And Richard said to blow up the plane, correct? Yes. Well... Jacob never said anything about it to me. I mean, what if Richard's wrong?
1: Hugo, I'm looking out for your best interest. All of you. Nothing is more important than this. That thing is evil. And God help us if it ever leaves this island. Because if it...
3: And we cut from that to, to John Loki making a stick. It's not even to commercial.
4: Nope, not even giving the service of that. I, I want to couch our discussion in a really interesting comment that Patrick Farrell ended up sending in to it. us. Uh, straight from the horse's mouth of these two writers. He said, in 2010, I was a sophomore film TV major at the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh go badgers i don't know what i can't remember what the mascot is. oh my god <laughs> uh shortly after the airing of everybody loves hugo i had the opportunity to attend a guest lecture by lost writers and uw alum edward kitsis and adam horowitz since they had written everybody loves hugo one person asked them directly why alana had to die they didn't want to spoil anything and were very careful with their words they started explaining it by contrasting her with frank they said most of the writers really gravitated toward Frank in the final episodes because his backstory was so uncomplicated. I was supposed to fly 815 that day. Why didn't you? I overslept. The end. They implied that Alana was on the other end of that spectrum. They couldn't tell her backstory, they'd have to show it, which would take a time away from the original 815ers who fans cared more about. They also hinted that where things were going, have Alana around make things too easy for the characters, and sacrifice narrative stakes this honestly josh reading this really made me angry talk to me about why
3: articulate it
4: because honestly then what they're saying is for lack of a better term laziness that's literally what they're saying they're saying oh there were two paths here there was the occam's razor where we keep frank lapidus around because you just throw him in for a couple lines we don't have to explain anything or there's this character that we created That had this complicated, mysterious backstory that we chose not to introduce, and we realized that it was too complicated, so we had to kill her off. It's just, like, these people have created such wonderfully woven tapestries of stories and narrative, and they choose to give up now? They choose this to be the thing that they are going to shunt off writing when we have a storyline of son being unable to speak <laughs> English. Yeah. That gets more dedication. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous to me. Like the sacrifices yeah. that they choose to make here. And look, the moral of the story is if you felt that you couldn't write for the character, don't make the goddamn character.
3: I think that that's the biggest thing for me. Cause I've been thinking about what could they have done better with Alana? And I, and I almost feel like maybe the best outcome was to not create the character in the first place. But I feel like that's a little unfair to Zuelka Robinson, who I think does a really good job with the character. I felt that way on this, on this pass through, uh, that I think that she imbues Alana with a lot of strength, vulnerability, complexity. Um, her, her first couple of episodes in season five are maybe not super great, but I think then season six, she's good. I really like her. I don't think that they were, I don't We didn't need to know much more about Alana other than she's an agent of Jacob. And if she somehow survives long enough to make it to what they died for and everybody is seeing Jacob there, um, then she can have like a moment with him that could be like kind and sweet. And she can then just be another like helpful part of the final push, whether that's she's surviving with the candidates or she's with Frank and Richard and Miles for the final push of the end and somehow sees like young Jacob over there. That could have been kind. That could have been sweet. I, there were some suggestions when we were watching this live of, well, what if Alana dies in the submarine? Okay, sure. You know, that could work, too. Uh, you know, maybe she could be the person who runs the bomb out instead of Said and does mm-hmm. this last thing to protect the candidates. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to potentially chew on in terms of ways that she could have died that would have had more meaning. I am, you know... I am not sure what the what the proper answer is but I know what the wrong answer is and it's what they did here that they threw their hands up and they're like this is this is too hard to explain let's just kill her off it'll be evocative of season 1 and we're doing a lot of that right now this feels like one of the the maybe may a weird one to say this is one of your least favorite and most problematic parts of the final season, but it is for me. I think it's really representative of yes. you're talking about Sun uh, and the, the Speaks English storyline making its way here into the final season. But just think about a lot of the wheel spinning of a lot of the sideways stories and the meandering of the plot and a lot of season six and just the real estate that is uh, sort of squandered. Um, we don't get the Claire episode. You don't get the Alana episode. It's not even that You necessarily have to get those things, but there are opportunities here to dig deeper into some of these characters than we do in the final season to challenge them, to challenge us instead of just randomly blowing them up for actually no reason other than to remind us that the black rock dynamite is volatile and to send us back to feeling like oh god, it was shocking when Dr. Arst blew up. But that was funny, and that was played for laughs and shock value and the fact that it happened to a character that you didn't feel horrible about it yep. happening to yep. made it all of those things, made it a memorable entertaining television event that you just don't forget. With Alana, it feels unnecessarily cruel. And I think to use your word, it does feel lazy. It feels like um, a, sur- a-, a surrender, a white flag. It feels like... um a real mis, misjudgment of the character and where we as the audience are with her. I don't think that anyone is blaming where we are in season six on Alana the way that people may have been blaming so- some of where we are in season three on Nikki and Paolo, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just wretched. I really dislike it. It, it just, it, this is the stuff, you know, when, when there's, you know, people who, who love the show, uh, talk about why they don't like the final season. I think it's really easy to broad brush the complaints about the final season as, well, people just didn't like how it ended and people didn't understand. And like, I just rewatched the end the other day and I watched it. I watched it on Monday morning. Uh, and I, it was way too early in the day to be bawling. (sighs) uncontrollably the way that i was never too um, early the podcast will be difficult to record prior
4: clock somewhere it's,
3: josh it's gonna be really tough it, so for me the end is exceptional it's really really great my issue has nothing to do with that my issue has to do with the 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 missed opportunities with characters and real estate of the final season and i don't think that it's fair to say that if you didn't like the final season, uh, it's only because you didn't like or understand the sideways. I yep. don't think that that's fair at all, and I think Alana is a real avatar of that for me.
4: Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll be quite frank, uh, not Lapidus, even though they they cited this character. I think if any Lost writer uses an excuse in the final season of, we didn't have time, that is absolute bullshit in my opinion, because like you said, they had... 18 episodes So the point that you made before of how some of these episodes feel like they were actually just sort of hanging out waiting for certain hanging landmarks out. to hit exactly so the fact that they said well we're sorry we didn't have enough time to squeeze it in and some of the stuff they did choose to keep in it it just doesn't really register for me so yeah suffice it to say like thank you for sending that in but that was something that i think makes me even madder at the choice here Not only to mention, as we mentioned before, the way it's actually done on the show is not good. Uh, Like, they just they just shrug it off and do away with it. We're eventually going to come back and deal with the repercussions of that. But in the moment, they're just sort of like, and she blows up moving on.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't even know why I feel the need to say this, but obviously we love the show. We would not be doing this if we didn't love the show. We would not be making plans for what to do after the rewatch if we did not love the show. We love the show. We adore the show. These characters are family in many ways. the The island is family. home in family. many ways. Family. You know, family. It,
4: Did you have you seen that that viral tweet, Josh? Of all the, the guys dressed up like Vin Diesel is just saying family over no, and over again.
3: No, no, I haven't. Um, but that's how I feel. Uh, these people are home to me. This is my favorite show. So these complaints uh, can exist with that feeling, and it, you could be you, you can say to your your child at the end of the day when they come home from school and they did something wrong in school and you got called about it, that I'm very disappointed in you. You can say that uh, and still love your child. And I'm very disappointed and lost with the way that they handle Alana. And I think that it is the thing that I would point to more so than any sideways scene uh, as to what my issues with the final season are. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
4: And, th- and then we cut, From that to, I think, something that is a little bit also of a microcosm of what I don't love about Season 6, which is, as Sawyer vocalizes, the fact that Camp John Loki has just been sitting there doing nothing, doing Jack all, Jack Shepard all, for the past little while, right? They got, like, tranked a couple of episodes ago, then they just sort of came back to life, and now they're just waiting on orders, but unlike John Locke, who gets zapped away before he can give orders in the beginning of Season 5, john loki's got nothing for you to use another piece of survivor parlance
3: nothing for you uh so he's got nothing he's been making this stick uh this whole time uh and uh saeed has returned uh he has returned with desmond and he is going to take john loki to him uh to uh They have a conversation that we will check in on a little while from now. Meanwhile, on the other side of Alana's explosion, Richard is trying to wrangle the group together, and he's saying, we need to go back to the Black Rock and get more dynamite, or else Alana died for nothing.
4: All right, so this is perhaps the biggest revelation I had about this episode. Uh, And it sincerely blew my mind, like Alana chunks all over the 815 camp, I realized, at least in this episode, because I honestly don't remember much about Richard's arc for the rest of the series, but Richard Alpert has such big, early-season Jack Shepard energy in so, this episode, Josh. Tell me, is, tell me
3: more about that.
4: It's incredibly interesting to me, because this entire time, Richard is going to be very vocal, right? He's going to be headstrong, he's going to be very stubborn. He keeps pushing this dynamite plan. Uh, he, eventually, he's going to split away from the group, because he is that, that you know, set in his ways. He is going to, you know, actively oppose people like Hurley and Jack, who are more so connected with the island in a way that Jack would. I mean, quite literally. So we saw Isabella's cross that Richard put on in Abaterno. This, I believe, is the first episode that that cross is missing. So it really is almost like Richard Alpert took off his Richard Alpert outfit and put on his Jack Shepard outfit. I think the way that Richard engages with the group. And really tries to take that leadership role to be like, all right, especially now that Alana's gone, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep going for Dynamite. And doing it in a brusque way, I think really harkens back to those early days of Jack, right? Where he's like, I don't want to do this, but somebody has to, so I guess I'm the one giving out orders here.
3: yeah. Um, I, I love that. I think, I think to me, he's maybe a little more cracked out than Jack was in season (laughs) one. There's sort of a wild energy to Richard here, uh, where he gets like so angry and animated about it. And Jack was kind of stoic, uh, is certainly my memory of early Jack, but I think that you're right otherwise about sort of the defiance The, Mm. the inability to listen to anybody else or lack of interest in listening to anybody else or the self assuredness and certainty that he is on the right. Even after having a moment of, you know, sort of bonding with Hurley, he's going to be very anti Hurley in this episode. Um, which I think is also yet another maybe demerit in Richard's column. We're going back to that because uh hurley is clearly going to be the leader of this place and richard who spent all of those years being the lieutenant to all of these leaders can't see that hurley is the guy who should be calling the shots uh so but i I think that that's great i think that that's really fun this idea of richard sort of taking on the jack role as jack is as he's going to say actively resisting uh doing his normal jack stuff
4: yeah which is again very fun because it's this idea almost like spoiler alert for the wire if you haven't seen this incredible show please tune ahead about 30 seconds to a minute it very much reminds me of that right when the ultimate lesson is like even those in power that leave someone else steps in their place and the cycle repeats itself we get it a little bit here where in the absence of john Locke, jack has stepped into his place but like there's almost always going to be a natural opposition to that force, and so Richard has kind of become the man of science in his place. I think it's just a very fun character note that, again, I'm not sure if it's going to live outside of this episode, but at least in this episode, the way, and especially the way that, that Richard separates from Jack, in a way that, much like Jack separated from Locke in another Hurley episode, uh, I think it's 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 very fun to watch.
3: Yeah, I definitely think so as well. I love Hurley in this episode so much where he's like, oh yeah, no, Richard's right. Jack, we got we to gotta do what Richard wants us to do. It's the right choice. Do you trust me, Jack? And Jack's like, okay, Hurley, yeah, I trust you. Yeah.
4: The The fun thing about Jack as well is that he knows that Hurley is sort of lying through his teeth this entire time. Because say what you want to about Hurley as a character, the dude still can't lie for beans. Uh, and so it's going to become a much bigger moment later where he claims that Jacob's right there telling him what to do. But like, I would imagine in this moment... When Hurley's saying, oh, we have to go to the Black Rock and assist Richard, Jack's like, all right, you're up to something, Hurley, but I'm with you, no matter what. He doesn't
3: need to know. Doesn't need to know. Uh, In the flash sideways, following meeting Libby, Hurley has gone to one of his very own Mr. Cluck's locations to get a bucket of family-style fried chicken to the face.
4: And we need to talk about this cameo, because this is uh, this is not obviously like a special guest thing, but Josh, a semi-famous face, especially I think to you and I in our proclivities towards movies, shows up here as the clerk.
3: Yeah, uh, it's Sam Levine.
4: Sam Levine, a.k.a. Artie the Beekeeper from What Hot American Summer, probably most famously well-known as neil is that his character's yes. name from freaks yes. and geeks mm-hmm. uh yeah so here he shows up as like the the erstwhile amiable clerk at mr clucks and it was one of those leonardo dicaprio moments I'm like oh that guy yeah he's here uh i don't know if he was like a fan of lost or if he just randomly got cast in this but fun to see him make an appearance as a day player
3: yes uh really fun this is the sort of cameo that i can get behind because it's fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's exactly. really quick. Let, not
4: spend an entire episode on uh you know on uh, the EPA guy from Ghostbusters being the main antagonist. No, I
3: think that that's good. Uh, so Hurley's going to sit down with the chicken witch. By the way, I should mention I'm on a diet right now. This looks so good. All I want to do is eat the full bucket of chicken to the face. Um, I'm I'm so yeah. in Hurley's headspace right now that I would eat. I, I would I crush admit, my feelings in this fried chicken bas- uh, basket right now.
4: That's the thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm not like a, I'm not a big KFC guy in terms of like getting that type of fried chicken. I don't know if I'd get the bone in. Oh, fried I, totally from that type of place. I totally would.
3: 100%. I totally would. Hundred percent.
4: I think I have fears about that. Like, I'd rather. I know that the boneless probably has more suspect circumstances as to what's in it, but like, I'd rather dig into that than have to worry about
3: bones. No, I some Mr. Clucks. I'd go all the way, and I would do exactly what Hurley is doing right now, and I, 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 I cannot wait until the day that this happens for me. Uh, ideally, not in the afterlife, though. I guess if I'm eating fried chicken in the afterlife, something went right. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Desmond recently woke. Is going going to pay Hugo Reyes a visit here at Mr. Clucks to try and push him along to do the same thing for Hurley as Charlie did for Desmond. Let's listen in. Sound number two.
6: What?
5: I'm sorry. Have I seen you
2: before? I own the place. Maybe you saw my commercial. You wanna cluck it to your (laughs) keychain?
5: No, it's not that. Were you on Oceanic Flight A15? About a week ago from Sydney. Uh, yeah. (laughs) So was I. Wow, what a coincidence. Yeah, listen. You mind if I join you while I wait for my order? You might guess. That is a lot of chicken. Hey, when I'm depressed. Ah. So what's her name? I met a girl on a blind date the other night. And you didn't you didn't go how you'd hoped. Mm. She's totally awesome. Except for one thing. She's crazy. <laughs> well, all women a little bit crazy, brother. No. This one actually lives in the Looney bin. I mean, I saw the van. She's full on nuts. I mean, she started saying, but then she told me that we already knew each other. And that I'd remember. Tell me something. Did you believe her when she said she knew you? Yeah. Kinda. Now I say go with your gut. Now maybe you should you should try to find out where she thinks she knew you from before you give up on her.
3: Forty-two. Order forty
5: two. Uh that's me, brother. Well, oh. uh, it was nice bumping into you.
4: Let's compare this nudge from Desmond to later when he runs over John Locke with his car.
3: Yes, okay. Uh it's a big extreme. <laughs> uh yeah, it's, it's very, very a much huge, different size of the spectrum. Huge swing. Huge swing. It's very, very different. Uh, Absolutely. I just just think it's really interesting
4: (laughs) that, like, you think it's a gradual scale, right, where Desmond has this new mission, and this is very nice of him giving the very gradual nudge. Also, you know, having one of the most romantic characters in the show be, like, chase after her. Very Desmond-esque. And then (laughs) he runs over someone with his car. he's gonna hit
3: (laughs) uh, Locke with a car. Uh, Like... The the Desmond in the flash sideways trying to wake people up stuff is so much more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> to Hurley a gentle nudge to John Locke of the full force <laughs> of his four wheeled apparatus is crazy. Yeah. It's actually it's crazy. Done.
4: I mean, maybe this is, like, the result of him not having much guidance, right? Maybe that's the sort of the Jacobian elements of it all. Jacob doesn't give instructions to people, and they go wild trying to interpret his words. Desmond just had this inkling of, okay, I need to help them, but nobody told him how, so he's just wildly making swings and hoping they connect.
3: Yes. Uh, so... He's giving him that, that little push to go and investigate the situation further on his own. I guess that's going to work out, you know? That's going to work out for for uh, Hurley and Desmond. Uh, but we followed Desmond out of the sideways, which I think is interesting as a choice. Yeah. Uh, I guess we're doing more of that as things are starting to... The cosmic gumbo is starting to blend <laughs> together, Mike. Uh, it's a cosmic gumbo, uh, is what we called it on set. Uh, John Loki and Desmond are going to have the conversation. Uh, where he's like, well, why haven't you run? I've got nowhere to run to, brother. Uh, if, yeah, if, like, if
4: Desmond's tied to a tree, and he's like, yeah, in Jungle I'm going to give this to you.
3: Yeah, uh, and he, I love this from Loki when he says, wow, if I have nowhere to run is not the best argument against captivity, then I don't know what that's, it is.
4: Dude, this um, is a, it's an interesting episode for John Loki because this is where we begin to see shades of the guy that existed through the first bunch of episodes in season six, and that's because... Desmond still believes that he's John Locke, and so it's almost like, oh, I get to play this game again. Okay, I'm a little rusty, but this is fun. It it should also be noted, we talked about this desmond Said scene at the end of Happily Ever After, how both of them are, like, not intoxicated, but definitely not acting in the way that they usually do. I sort of realized that I think in this episode, Desmond's almost acting like a child. Like, he has the naivete and innocence and like jovial nature of a child to naturally trust in someone like John Locke. That's very much the attitude I get from Desmond. So I think John Loki sees Desmond and gets the knife and unties him and says, like, oh, okay, this'll be fun. I get to to, you know, Pull out one last trick one more time, because with everyone else, I decided to somehow come up with this weird duplicitous reasoning of how I'm not the smoke person, but I am the smoke person.
3: Do you think that, so when when he asked, do you know who I am? And Desmond goes, of course I do. You're John Locke. Do you think he believes that?
4: I, I would imagine so, because of the same logic that Ben used at the end of season five, of this idea of... Desmond thinking that anything on the island is possible right this is a guy who spent three years there so I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility especially considering like the reason why he's back if he is indeed all in on the island isn't done with you and he seems very devoted to the cause I think it would make sense if he's just like oh yeah he's alive he got brought back to life yeah that totally makes sense which again is the wrong thinking much like it was for Ben but I could see it logically from Desmond's perspective, considering everything he's seen. Like, theoretically, Desmond should be dead, and he's alive. So I think he can just sort of look at John Locke and say, oh yeah, that's the box man, I know him, and then be done with it.
3: I mean, it makes some sense as to why he followed Saeed with no problem. He's like, oh, Saeed, that's my guy. Uh, and he yeah. would be here with John Locke, he'd be like, oh, John Locke. Boxman, that's my guy, you know? Uh, I, am, I am
4: sad that Desmond had got, got a Hello Yourself Boxman in.
3: It would have been nice. Uh, you know, we're talking about the types of nods that the final season does to previous instances uh, of character interactions on Lost. That would have been good. But I do love the, of course, you're John Locke. Uh is is great. Uh and Loki's reaction to that being like, Oh God, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I've got him exactly where I want him. Uh and he's going to end up throwing him down a well, which I gotta <laughs> tell you, I still don't fully understand why he does that instead of just outright killing him if Desmond's not a candidate, but whatever. Um, okay, so Ben is with uh is with Jack and We should De- also
4: note here, uh, because you skipped up right understandably, so there is a small scene where Hurley goes through a lot of stuff. Apparently this was a pickup scene. Uh, they filmed it, I believe, while they were filming what they died for, another Kisses Horowitz joint. Maybe it's because they, like, I don't know, wanted to somehow commemorate Alana in some way. But yeah, if the early going through Alana's stuff scene just randomly comes out of nowhere, that's why.
3: Yeah. Uh, so they're walking through the jungle. This is where Ben starts to remark that Alana had been trained by Jacob, and no sooner does she tell you who you are and what you're here for that she blows up. The island was done with her. What's going to happen when it's done with us?
4: And it should also be noted, Sun's just here, because remember, she still can't
3: speak English. Can't say anything.
4: So she's just hanging out with Je- with Jack and Ben, having this very, like, ominous conversation about what happens when the island's done with you.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's probably concerned about himself, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alana was kind of keeping him alive, uh, is probably his view of things, so he's probably a little nervous.
4: And he also thinks that maybe this is a representation of the island being like, oh, Ben, you thought you were remorseful, but we're still not on your side. Yeah. Right? You still have several demons to slay. So we reach the Black Rock, and again, Let's let's put this in the Venn diagram of Richard and Jack Shepard Circus Season 1. Richard says, "Only I will take the dynamite." Yeah. Richard Albert uh, would definitely switch it out for Kate so that when she gets sucked down the 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 monster tube that like uh, he reveals that he actually had the dynamite the entire time.
3: Yes. Uh so Richard's like, "Where's the Hugo?" and we just cut to "Go, go, go" cuz Hurley blows up the GDBR. The goddamn Black Rock is gone
4: how did he did he just sneak by them while they were all congregating taking a water break or I something he went in the back entrance no <laughs>
3: idea and I don't really care this is one of those things that it is so much more fun to see the aftermath than the process yes. This is like I don't need to see every single thing that Batman does even though that would mm. be fun to you know do a ride along in the Batmobile with Bruce uh, I just want to see like him you know grab bad guys and pull them into the shadows here's her getting that kind of treatment, and I think it's really, really fun.
4: Yeah, and it's also fun to watch him, you know, do the whole action movie thing. I mean, we should also say R.I.P. Black Rock, and this is officially the end of a landmark that, as we talked about in Aperturno, may be the number one place in terms of, like, overall quality of scenes there are so many great scenes that take place in the black rock it has to be the number one
3: yeah i'm i'm really bummed about its uh demolition mike because it is such a great set um And uh, the first part of me is sad because when Lost is inevitably rebooted, the Black Rock is canonically destroyed. But then there's another part of me that gets very excited about the fact that in the inevitable Lost sequel, there's an opportunity to have a literal ghost pirate ship in the form of mm. Black Rock.
4: But what you don't know is in the Flash sideways, there's a deleted scene where Hurley, as Elon Klux, uh, <laughs> makes his own spaceship that he calls the Black Rock.
3: Oh, got it. Black Rocket. Uh, yeah
4: black rocket man (laughs)
3: yeah there he goes uh so he blew it up he destroyed it it's gone uh and richard's pissed uh then miles even says a warning would have been nice
4: yeah and richard but richard's also like you said sort of the manic aspect of him is he just keeps repeating like we're all dead we're all dead, we're all dead. Like, he is very much trying to think and sort of using these filler words of, oh god, oh no, that was my only plan, what happens now?
3: You know what's funny is, in that way, it's almost like he's Jack and Hurley combined. Uh, Mm. Because that's sort of classic, oh god, we're dead, oh geez, sort of the indecision paralysis, uh, I think is kind of here on Richard right now as well.
4: Yeah, that's that's really fun. And and so, you know, this is also a really interesting scene between Hurley and Miles. Right? Where, uh, hurley tells miles about michael talking to him miles doesn't recognize michael like should hurley have said oh it's kevin johnson and Miles like oh yeah i talked with that guy if he knew kevin johnson
3: i think maybe it would be different i don't know if it ever came up during the dharma years probably i would guess that you know it's time to talk about everything
4: and i'm pretty sure miles was there in the room in season four when ben said michael was the man on the boat
3: right Right, but he still maybe doesn't totally know. It's
4: also, it's also Miles, right? Like, this might be the sawyer S streak in him. Like, never heard of the dude.
3: Sure, for sure. Uh, but I love this. Uh, Does it happen to you often that ghosts come and tell you what to do? And Hurley says, often enough. And Miles says, and you always do what they say? And Hurley effectively says, yeah, because dead people are more reliable.
4: Yeah, it's a sad statement, but, like, not untrue, right? Ghosts don't necessarily have, for lack of a better term, protocol. Uh, Maybe in the case of Michael, they do, but they have no reason to be duplicitous to you necessarily. So Hurley, I think, has such like a a rock bottom faith in humanity at this point. He's like, honestly, the people that are dead don't have any rationale to lie to me. So, yeah, I guess they are more trustworthy by default.
3: Yeah. So when we go to the sideways, Hurley's going to come to Dr. Brooks and say, hey, can I take Libby out on a date? And Dr. Brooks goes, oh, I don't know about that. He's like, well, what if I give you one hundred thousand dollars? And Dr. Brooks says, sure.
4: Yeah, Dr. Brooks has a really odd sort of temperament. In this, like, Libby has issues with reality. It would not be a good idea to see each other. Which, again, maybe factors into this idea of, you know, the universe trying to keep them apart. Let, let's talk about, I mean, I guess we'll talk about with Libby waking up. Like, was she institutionalized when she woke up? Did she wake up and then institutionalize oh, herself? Oh,
3: interesting. That's interesting. That's,
4: yeah, that could be because that's, you know, why Hurley sends himself back to Santa Rosa, right? Is because he was seeing Charlie's ghost and was like, OK, I got to send like, clearly something's wrong with me.
3: Um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. She like saw that and she's like, I got to go check in somewhere.
4: Yeah, like clearly I'm not well.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that that tracks. I like that. I think that that's good. Uh, is, it, uh, is it is it is uh, it ethical for Dr. Brooks to have accepted this donation for this purpose?
4: no absolutely <laughs> not this is bribery this, yeah, is, like, this is rhetorical this is a, cr- this is a crime yeah yeah <laughs> this is an actual crime that's
3: being done yeah it's a crime he's doing a crime <laughs> hurley's doing a crime are we gonna be mad at hurley for doing this crime
4: yeah but that's also an ends justifies the means type of thing though i mean listen uh santa rosa was never the best from an infrastructure perspective so i guess uh it is helping and of course Gotta love that. Circa 2000's way of portraying a mental institution of, like, somebody in the corner touching the wall, someone spinning around in circles, that picture-perfect quality of mental health.
3: Yeah. Uh, I don't like Dr. Brooks, so he'll be the one that I blame for this.
4: Yeah, he's. It seems like he's the one, quite literally, in charge of the asylum. So I yeah. think we saddle him with any
3: blame. So Hurley comes and sees Libby. Sadly, no Leonard in the background. That would have been nice. Uh, we do
4: get, the, we do get the connect four. But yep. yeah,
3: no Leonard. The connect four connection. Uh, so he sits across from Libby. He has not remembered her, um, and she's not. Sh- Sure, where she knows him from, but she was watching TV and then was flooded with all these memories of seeing Hurley in another life with a plane crash and the island. We knew each other. We liked each other. And when I'd gotten here, it was like I had been here before. Um, so she's basically, you know, she's not fully woken up, Mike, but she had, I guess, sort of maybe that first phase that Desmond has before he meets Penny.
4: Mm, or or what Charlie did, right? We're like, right, yes, saw that's, this, better. that's saw more this accurate. person of... Uh, she's important i don't know why but i really care about this person we're like uh it's almost like sleep paralysis where part of you is awake but part of you isn't so like when she approached Hurley, it was not in a full thing of oh you're hugo reyes we met in this time and doing laundry meant something different uh she very much is like i know you from somewhere and i'm not sure this is a really sweet scene Uh, i miss the chemistry that these two actors had but you know when Libby says I'm crazy and Hurley says Yeah, probably, but we've all got something right. Like just such yeah. great Hurley energy. Jorge Garcia, of course, does a great job whenever he's given the spotlight, and this episode's no different.
3: When he says I'm, uh, you're doing. You know, it takes guts to tell a stranger you're from an alternate universe. I'm scared to say hi to a girl, and she says you're doing fine. I love that interaction a lot. Uh, yeah. I just think is very, very, very sweet. So he asks her out on a date. She says, yes, we will follow up on that in a little while. Um, John Loki and Desmond are walking on their way to the well. There's this is just a very brief pit stop that on their way to the well, uh, they see young Jacob. Uh, Desmond can see young Jacob.
4: He hasn't popped up since the substitute. I don't think he's visited his brother since the substitute. So it's clear that, like, whenever he's appearing to his brother, he's appearing as kid Jacob, right?
3: Yeah, uh, I think so. I think that that's right. Just
4: to, like, taunt him.
3: Yeah. uh, And so he says, disregard the boy. Disregard that boy. Um... We are now going to get into uh, a series of scenes that shall mark uh, the remainder of our sounds for this episode, a very back half sound heavy episode of of Lost, Mike. So let's start here with Richard Alpert is going to finally start speaking in full sentences instead of just grumble, grumble, death, we're going to die, and try to make his pitch as to uh, what they should do next, and Hurley will make... His own. This is almost evocative, Mike, of the season four premiere uh, of mm, Taking Sides. Very,
4: very much so. But now Hurley, Jack is the Hurley, and Hurley is the lock.
3: Yes. So let's see who we should follow. Let's listen in sound three.
2: Where are you going? Just going back to
5: the drama barracks. You're still grenades here? Explosives? Yes, I think so. And that's where we're going. Maybe we should talk about this a minute. Talk? There's no time to talk. But if you know what we need to do, you know how we stop that thing from leaving the island without blowing that plane up? Let's hear it. Let's all hear it. I know what we need to do. Really? What's that? We have to go talk to Locke. Are you trying to get us killed? It's not my idea. It's his. Jacob says we have to talk to Locke. Jacob's here right now? Yeah. Ask him what the island is. What? A while back, Jacob told me what the island was. If he's really standing here right next to me, then just ask him. Prove anything to you, Richard. You can either come with me or you can keep trying to blow stuff up. You're called, dude. He's lying. Jacob isn't telling us what to do because Jacob never tells us what to do. I'm gonna make this simple. If that thing leaves the island, that's it. it. It's over. What's over? Everything.
2: I'm destroying that plane, and I can use all the help I can get. Who's coming with me?
5: I am. I saw that thing in action, man. It doesn't want to talk.
2: Sorry. Anyone else? Sorry, Richard. Jacob says we go talk to Locke, we go talk to Locke. I'm going with you, though. Really? Don't get in our way. All right, Hurley. Let's go talk to Locke.
4: if we said this during the beginning of the end but is it wrong for me to be on both of their sides here
3: well it doesn't sound like it's a total either or right you know hurley's going to go one way and richard and his team will go the other and their agendas are not necessarily in conflict with each other it's just that for Hurley's own survival, he feels that going towards Locke is going to be the right call. That getting to confront him directly and start dealing with this in a more direct way is going to be the better path than trying to sabotage their way off the island. Um, so I think that there's ways in which both of these people are, I don't know about talking total sense, but uh, they're not like in complete, absolute, uh, antagonistic opposition with each other.
4: Not to mention, Richard Alpert does call Hurley out on his bullshit. Yeah, right? he gets like, him right. Yeah, he reads
3: it. He reads he it correctly. He completely
4: clocks him of like, no, you're completely making this up. Uh, and I think also to him, understandably so, Hurley's plan is a little ridiculous, right? That's why Miles ends up going with them is because he's like, oh, uh, I saw this dude turn into a smoke monster and murder several people at a temple. I don't know if he's going to talk, so good luck signing your death warrants, people. I'm not going there. So, again, I think all these characters are all justified in the various perspectives that they take here
3: yeah i think so as well i do like that kind of threat from richard of uh you know don't get in our way what was he gonna do what if they did
4: uh i'm not sure blow them up if he gets the grenades
3: he just throw he just throws yeah c4 at them
4: but again that's very much a john uh jack thing right like uh when Locke threw the knife in naomi's back jack was going to shoot him he was ready wasn't loaded so he was ready
3: to do it he for sure would have done
4: very very similar temperament here
3: yeah uh absolutely uh any um any thoughts on the division of people of ben and miles team richard and then everybody else team hurley
4: i mean son and frank don't know richard from a hole in the ground right uh i guess son and they had some time with him i suppose back in the shadow of the statue but like I'd imagine they trust in Hurley and especially Jack a lot more than Richard Albert and especially Ben.
3: (laughs) I think Frank is the one that I'm maybe somewhat confused by. But then I thought about it a little bit more uh, and thought about how he probably isn't going to be emotionally equipped to watch them blow up a plane.
4: (laughs) That's true. Like, get me away from that plane. If If I'm flying it, perfect. If you're destroying it, that's ripping out a chunk
3: of my heart. Yeah, uh, so he just, like, can't handle that. So the group is divided, and later that night, as they're walking, Sun asks Frank if they made a mistake, and she does that on paper. Because she can't
4: speak English. Not just until, until next, just to, next week. Just a reminder, just a reminder, everybody, that thing's still going. Poor Young Jin Kim has to go there and shoot these seeds for and the just rest of her,
3: stu- her storyline
4: yeah and just stood around the entire time
3: other than one more episode basically you know she'll have a, a couple of lines in English next week and then uh, she won't be able to speak uh, for much longer See, than the candidate because yeah, she'll,
4: it'll just she'll, it'll just she'll be, be dead, dead.
3: <sighs> still too soon um, <laughs> Hurley and Jack are going to have a conversation that I love let's listen in sound four
5: so what do you think we should do Say the lock when we get there I mean how do you break the ice with a smoke monster don't worry about it something tells me he's going to do most of the talking or he could just kill us all
6: yeah he
5: could I didn't see Jacob back there I just said it because I wanted everyone to listen to me I know why don't you come with me ever since Juliet died ever since I got her killed all I have wanted was to fix it but I can't I can't ever
2: fix it you have no idea how hard it is for me to sit back and listen to other people tell me what I should do but I think maybe that's the point Maybe Maybe I'm supposed to let go
5: Unless You letting go gets us killed
2: Going to see Locke was my idea Not Jacobs Early you asked me to trust you
5: This is me trusting you It's a good thing you do dude Because I have no idea Where I'm going Wait It's cool, I think I know what these things are Oh yeah What the hell are
4: they? Right here I think it's abundantly clear through this conversation that what Jack Shepard needed the most in those three years off Island was therapy.
3: Yeah. This was, this
4: was a therapy session essentially. Yeah, right.
3: Yeah. I mean, everybody would benefit from it is my feeling, uh, but it's obviously not a possibility for everyone, which sucks. Um, but for Jack, it was definitely a possibility. He had the health insurance, no doubt. Um, and the money because he got the oceanic settlement and he was probably doing just fine before that. Anyway. Um, but <laughs> yes, Definitely. And Jack definitely at this point has been therapized by life to some extent. Uh, You know, he has been through some brutal stuff. He came back here and dragged everybody here, you know, in no small part, thanks to ego, Uh, you know, thinking like we need to be here. I need to be here. And the only way is to drag all of you back here. So I'll do that. That wasn't really good you know uh you know the instinct to come back and to that there there was work to be done here was not wrong but um you know he was not in a pure place to do that and i don't know that he ever gets to a fully pure place I do still think that a lot of it is about you know trying to you know it's not all, an altruistic thing altogether what jack does over the course of the final episodes of this show but i think that there is um a sense of self-awareness and reflection on who I am and who I have been and who I could possibly be that is at play here. Um, and one of the, the things that is efforting him towards a better version of himself is taking time to not have to shot call and instead just trust that his friend who he who he loves and knows and believes in can pull something off. Uh, and to, you know, uh, rely on a person other than himself. That itself is such a difficult act for somebody of Jack's makeup Um, in its own way. Just the sheer act of Hurley, I trust you and you've got this and I will do what you say um, is, you know, something of a small victory.
4: I really love the small gesture but speaks volumes when Jack starts his speech and he says ever since Juliet died, ever since I got her killed.
3: Yes, that's uh, a huge correction.
4: Yeah, very huge correction, because one is passive, one is arguably aggressive, or at least uh, blaming yourself for it. And it's a big admission as well, right? We, we talked about how Jack was sort of in this odd stasis the first few episodes of season six, where he he was wrong about the incident, and Juliet died, and he is he is riddled with this, but he didn't actually talk about it. Until this moment. And I think that is therapeutic of its own. Uh, they say, you know, once, once you give your fears and, and issues a name, uh, that sort of eliminates it. It makes it weaker to actually talk about your, your fears, to actually put them out there in the universe instead of letting them fester away in your brain. And that's what Jack is doing here. Like he is admitting, yeah, I got her killed and it's terrible. And I, I live with it every day of my life. But I've realized that what I've been working towards is this, like, untenable solution to fix all that, and it got someone killed, and that's not the way that I need to do things. It's not healthy. It never was. Let me try something different and see if that works.
3: Yeah um i think it's really nice i think it's a great interaction between him and hurley and i just love the interaction from hurley of uh i'm glad you believe in me because i have no idea what i'm doing it's just sort of you know the the last remnants of his fear here uh i think are are very relatable
4: and also this idea right that i think hurley has always felt and this will you know go to the end when jack abdicates leadership to hurley and Hurley's like me no i'm not ready it's this idea of like no you were ready the entire time where Hurley says, oh, no, I made up that Jacob went this way. Like, it's very clear that Hurley has kind of lived his lives being guided by people, whether off-island it was his mother or Randy Nations on-island, Jack, Locke, Sawyer, etc. Uh, and even someone like Jacob, he has to, like, create a figurehead. This is one of the first times that Hurley admits, I am not following someone else's instincts, I'm following my own. And the fact that it turns out successful... I think, plays immediately into the fact that, yeah, he can lead. Uh, he has done small things in the past, like everything going on with the food, but there's a difference between like becoming a, a micromanager, uh, you know, a small-time leader, and becoming a big-time leader in that regard. And I think Hurley is slowly realizing that there isn't someone that he needs to necessarily
3: follow. He can be the one to let people follow. I also just love the line, how do you break the ice with the smoke monster? This it's is a so good, good question. Yeah. You de- Well, we
4: learned so you don't stab him. Don't like, stab so you him. Did.
3: No, I mean that kind of broke the ice. It seemingly like worked for the smoke monsters' benefit.
4: I suppose so. Do you try any classic icebreakers? Like my name is Hurley, and I'm bringing hamburgers to the picnic. Yeah, your turn.
3: You, you throw a shoe at him, uh, and he picks up the shoe, and he's now chosen you to talk about. Uh, I think yeah. is how that works.
4: Or you do okay. You step in a circle, and you do your superhero identities. Let so me tell am- you.
3: Let me tell you one you don't do. Trust falls.
4: Hmm very much so especially with someone who is porous smoke
3: yeah uh, you go right through him you don't do trust falls with the smoke monster how do you break the ice with the whispers we are about to find out as hurley hears the whispers goes off in pursuit and wants to talk to michael sound five
2: hey you around michael
5: stuck on the island, aren't you? Because of what I did. And there are others out here like you, aren't there? That's what the whispers are? Yeah. We're the ones who can't move on. Do you know where Locke is? Yeah. Is is there anything I can do to help you? Don't get yourself killed. Okay. And Hurley.
6: You ever do see Libby again? Tell her
5: I'm very sorry.
2: Be sure
3: and do that dude and that is a series wrap on michael dawson folks i i really i this is maybe the scene from the final season that has aged the best for me in terms of where it was at the start i really remember getting <laughs> a good hate into this back in the day and like i actually really like that scene now uh it's weird how how you know Stop me if you've heard the Lost meets you where you are. I, I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a really it's a really, really uh, em, uh, emotionally effective scene for me from Hurley, who has every reason in the world to hate this guy. He killed Libby, you know? for you know reasons that we know the fuller picture of the mm-hmm. show and like and,
4: and and the last time he saw Michael Michael had betrayed him and turned him into exactly. the others as well to leave the island
3: you know he has every reason in the world to loathe this guy and instead he meets him with such empathy in this moment. He sees how far he's fallen. He's a ghost. He can't move on. He's stuck like this. And he is uh he's he's talking to him. He's asking him if there's anything he can do. That's like that when he says, Is there anything I can do to help you? Is an, is a priority for Hurley to articulate in this moment. Um, and Michael's response too of just don't get yourself killed. I don't know why this. This guts me so much but it really like I have tears in my eyes right now which is weird mm. but I it really it yeah, really no, in, a, in response to a Michael scene of all things it really it really does hit me uh of you know just sort of the 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 kind, the un- almost unnecessary kindness that Hurley displays here and still the 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 deep sorrow that you know I think that many of us like the uh, an, an idea of hell is having to exist forever with your regrets and that mm. seems to be what's happening to Michael here and I think it, it is it is so shitty that that happens to Michael and that there's no uh, signifier that he gets to move on in the canonical way other than if you're able to make leaps past the new man in charge with Walt but there's just no hide nor hair of him or Walt in the sideways um, when other people like Ben get to go there you know what I mean like I think that that, that I have taken um, pretty harshly with Michael specifically and have have thought that that's kind of bullshit. Um, But I think that there is still a powerful story to be told here that Harold Perrineau in the, the limited capacity that he's used here maybe it's just uh, some of, you know, a lot of the hard stuff that we have all had to endure, uh, both, you know, sort of globally and in this shared species-wide way of the <laughs> last several years. But also, I think a lot of the personal stuff that people go through individualistically, that uh, certainly for me, I think that this this feels resonant, this idea of, like, the fear of, I'm, am I always going to live in feeling like uh, I, I messed things up irreversibly? Will I die and still be around, haunted by that shame and regret um and will there be anyone who can absolve me or at least be kind to me um like i think that there's there's a lot of uh a lot of humanity in this scene so forget the answer you know forget what the whispers mm-hmm. are take that completely out of it and i think that this is a really a really impactful conversation at least it, it hits me pretty hard um i really really like it i think that both Hay Garcia and, and Harold Parano are, are really really great in this scene
4: Forget the answer is also a nice subtitle for, you know, uh, <laughs> <speak> <laughs> lost in, season
3: six. Yeah. Yeah. Or just lost in
4: general. Right. Yeah. Of like it's again, it's it's not about the answers. I mean, Let the mystery of that, be. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I mean, this is so I agree that the scene itself, I think, is really interesting. Say what you want about the explanation, but I love you. You vocalize really beautifully the perspectives with which, with which Hurley and Michael come through here. This might also be a reason why Hurley is able to see ghosts. Right. It's like hey, you know what? Maybe ghosts were talking the entire time, but Hurley was the only one to listen. Uh, the, yeah, the fact that, like, yeah. uh, he's the only one that could lend the ear. He was charitable enough. I don't think any other character on the show would ask a ghost, is there anything you need me to do? I'm trying to think of to on. who else
3: would maybe do that, like, You would want to think maybe John Locke sometimes, but I don't know. You know, he would come to her to to Claire with the crib on her birthday and stuff like that. So he had these moments where he would check in with people. But I think if he started talking to a ghost, his, you know, all of his energy would go to, it's all happening for a reason. I got to chase this down the line. And not really like the empathy piece of it. Um, And I'm trying to think of who else. Yeah, I think maybe Desmond. I don't know. I really think it's Hurley. I think Hurley makes the most sense in this regard.
4: Which, maybe, you know, if we're talking about timey wiminess is a reason why he gets these powers in the first place. So, the emotionality of this scene, I agree, I enjoy it. It's also a nice way to have these two guys sort of talk to each other amidst very different planes. I would say, this is very odd to say, I would have liked to see more Whispers. Uh, I find it odd that they make one appearance at the beginning of the episode and one appearance here. I think three is a magic number. It would have been nice to have it another time. But also, I would say, in general it would have been nice to have more to the point where I forgot they showed up in the season six premiere. Uh, I think this while again, there, there is some interesting character stuff going on with this scene. I think the overall tone of their intention behind it, it's less so like, let's make a big cathartic moment around these two men and more so like, all right, well, we're checking this box. Uh, people wanted to know what the whispers are. We're doing this thing and we're moving forward. So I'm happy that they accomplished it but i would say that i feel like there there is a way it could have been done that brings even more power to the scene can
3: i offer a placement for additional whispers in the final season so let's cut to the end and let's cut to the final fight cliffside between jack and john and john has the knife he's already stabbed jack and he's about to plunge it into jack's neck uh before he's shot by kate right Let's have him not get shot by Kate right away. And let's have the whispers clock in. And now John Loki, who's mortal all of the sudden, is for the first time scared of the dead. And that signifies that Hurley and Kate and Sawyer and Ben have just shown up and Kate shoots him there.
4: I really love the idea because it also reminds me a bit of like Harry, the climax of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire of like, do those whispers, maybe not necessarily represent these characters literally, but like, it also represents Jin and Sun and Saeed yeah. and all the temple people, right? Like the fact that his past is coming back to haunt him in the form of these whispers. Yeah, I think and is then a really maybe cool Maybe even idea. like
3: see the ghosts could be really cool on the rocks, you know, get Jin, get Sun, get Saeed, get all of those people there, uh, get Michael, you know, get as many, like that would be a great place to showcase a lot of the actors who had previously been on the show, who died on the island, uh, could be really, really, really cool. But I think. Or. Like, yeah I, we, I I think it's stuff like that, and we talked earlier about they decided that the smoke monster can't shapeshift anymore these I feel like were you know missed opportunities uh for the show like you have these things mythologically at your disposal. Why are we cutting them off? you know what's the reason for that?
4: This is another again Harry Potter reference apologies for all of them. Could it be something as well where I don't want to like add anything to the final sequence of the show, but like could there be something where as Jack is you know, walking through the bamboo forest to lay him t- down to rest, it's not, we. maybe we don't get the whispers, but maybe that's a way you bring in those dead characters, almost like walking alongside him, you know, to to like guide him to his final resting place, the people that were so important to him uh, that he ended up saving, in a manner of speaking, or work to save, that they're the ones that help lead him to where he needs to go.
3: I think if we didn't do the sideways, yeah. But I think with the sideways, you get that. I, I think mm-hmm. that it's I think it's helpful there, um, but I also don't want to uh, like Vincent. Yeah, has one job <laughs> yeah. before he turns into a yeah. Shih <laughs> <Yeah>. Tzu. <laughs> yeah what if a small army of shih tzus uh, show up but they (laughs) all have faces that vaguely look like characters from lost who died so it's like the the boon shih tzu Uh, that's the uncanny valley the shih tzu yeah Uh, Antonio Mazzaro does an incredible thing this is a total non sequitur uh, where he every once in a while will send me a text message and it's just a picture of a dog whose face looks like top chef winner Joe Flam Uh, and it is hilarious. Hilarious, and it cracks me up every time. So I just love the idea of dogs whose faces look reminiscent of uh, former lost uh, characters. I think would be great.
4: <laughs> be certainly a way to end the show. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe less regard of like, man, that was a beautiful ending. Why did a bunch of dogs with people's faces come out of the jungle? And then
3: everybody walked away from May whatever twenty ten. It's like, wow, the lost finale was awesome. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Universal. This is agreement. the one thing that needed fixing. Yeah. <laughs>
3: there needed more dogs with human faces in it. Uh, Alright, so we're on the other side of that. I already said uh my piece on um the explanation of the whispers and why that's fine with me. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that or if you're good to move on.
4: No, this is again, I think, something I've largely you don't really care term, about. come yeah. to peace with. Yep. I think there's an explanation of it. Like I like I said, it's more so like I'm fine with it. I wish it could have been Shoehorned in a little bit better. Yeah, uh, I think it makes sense in the Hurley episode, and it was it was a box to check, and it's an interesting explanation. But like we just talked about, could have been more fun ways to pepper in this idea of the dead haunting the Th- island over the course of the show. Yeah,
3: this could have set something up, and it doesn't. Uh, that's that's the 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 thing that I would still say is like, okay, I wish that we had done more, but I don't mind what it is. I think what it is 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 totally fine, and the scene in which it's presented, I think, is actually really good. Um, Let's go to another good scene. It's the wake-up. Hurley's gonna wake up. Hurley and Libby, on the date, sound number six.
5: I got, like, six different kinds of cheeses. I don't even know what they are, but the lady at the store said they were good, so... I think you like cheese because everybody likes cheese. Is something wrong?
6: No, not wrong. Just off.
5: Have you been here before?
6: No. It's just being here with you feels so familiar. It's like a. Date we've never had
0: wow
1: I sound completely insane don't I
0: no not
5: completely
1: why do you even want to be with me
5: why do you want to be with me
1: what
6: come on look at me I want
2: to be with you because I like you
5: You like me because you're
6: delusional.
4: Desmond pulling the Leonard, the Leonard Nimoy in uh, March vs. the Monorail. I'm like, well, my work here is done. Yeah,
3: I love... Well, he's like, oh, great. He woke up. Well, time to go run over John Locke. <laughs> well, push up my sunglasses and
4: stain them with blood. Yeah! It's time to run over a man.
3: Yeah. Uh, so that's what he's going to go and do. Uh, we got to hear the, you know, the, the wake-ups, right? I think that that's mm-hmm. important. We want to listen to those uh as um, they and, happen
4: and speaking of which so this was suggested when we watched the episode along and i think we we agreed upon it so let's bring it to the forefront josh i think we need a counter for the season six wake-ups much like we had with the benjamin linus beatdowns and the kate austin aliases i think uh especially as we get into the end i think it makes sense for us to power rank the wake-ups To see where they stack up.
3: Okay, so we've got two so far then, right? We've got Hurley and we've got Desmond are now both awake. Um, And what are we qualifying as Desmond's wake up? Because I think that, you know, he has the moment in the the MRI, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. fully wake him up.
4: Right, but I wouldn't say that Charlie holding his hand up wakes him up.
3: No, but what about Desmond... Shakes Penny's hand. that's where he wakes up, right? you know so he, he doesn't really have a a, a, mm. a montage that is associated with the actual wake up. so it's right. a little it's a little unfair. he gets I guess he gets an episode effectively is what he gets.
4: <laughs> the episode long wake up either way, whatever you appropriate, I think it's better than the hurley.
3: I do too. I actually think that you know I think that there are three contenders for the worst wake up. Uh and it's 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 gonna be just by default, it's gonna be Desmond and Hurley and then Saeeds. Uh mm. you know, I think those are gonna be <laughs> well, the,
4: Saeed's, yeah, the circumstances, yeah. right?
3: Those will be the three that are at the bottom of the list. And then it's then it's like a race for the for the top spot and I have my personal answer having watched the, the finale the other day. Uh but we'll talk about it when we get there and that'll be fun. Um, I do think that, you know, the the totality of the wake ups and that journey for Desmond in Happily Ever After is stronger than Hurley's moment with Libby. It's just not as I don't know, for whatever reason, it's not quite as emotionally impactful as the other ones. Um, and I well, think part I, uh, of it is because it's not tied to the event of the finale. You know, it's taking place in this episode, and it's nice to have him fully awake for the entirety of the finale. Um, but I do think that we uh, we maybe miss a little bit of the emotional resonance when Hurley wakes up. At least that's how I feel.
4: No, I don't disagree. That, again, this is one of those pieces of the episode that I'm like, I, this should feel more heartwarming, but it's like, Fine, actually, more so like the scene leading up to it. Uh, very reminiscent to me of the climax of Dave, right? Where Hurley's standing on the cliff and he says, "Like, of course you're not real because why would someone like you want to be with someone like me?" I like the the reflection of that. But I would say that I agree that I think this will probably end up on the bottom. I think that the, really the matter of it as well, and this actually connects back to the Shannon Saeed thing is that we saw at Libby for what a snatch of episodes in season two. And that's it. It is not nearly as impactful a moment from a lost character perspective as nearly any of the other wake-ups. I think, unfortunately, it's just due to the fact that we didn't see that much of Libby. It's like, great, good for her. He obviously loves Libby, still thinking about her even all these years later. But the fact of the matter is like, okay, Libby's involved, you know, even the montage we get of their scenes is probably, like, all the scenes they had together. Uh, they actually didn't have that much time together over the course of Lost Season 2. So it's a little bit of, like, acknowledging something that was not incredibly strong from a character perspective. At least not compared to, obviously, Jen and Son, Sawyer and Juliet, uh John Locke wiggling his toes, even, like, Claire, Aaron, Charlie, and Kate is uh, is another big one. So unfortunately, I think just from a content perspective, this one does not necessarily provide those feels. Yeah,
3: I think so. I agree. But he's awake, and that's nice. And he will be an ally to Desmond in The Flash Sideways. And It'll be fun to have him sort of in that mode for some of these characters in, in the end, uh, you get to see a little bit of post, uh, finale Hurley in the finale, if that makes sense. Sideways Hurley, you get a sense of what he was like after everybody left the island. So that stuff is good. I'm glad that it happened. Um, Okay, so Locke and Desmond reach the well and we get a little bit of backstory and history and John Loki pretending to be a good guy until he finally reveals that he's not such a good guy and it culminates in another incredible Desmond scream. Let's listen (laughs) in sound seven.
5: What is it? It's a well. Let me guess. You're wondering how deep it is. read my mind you have any idea how old this well is Desmond
2: very old
5: (laughs) that's exactly right very old so old in fact that the people who dug this well did it completely by hand God knows how long it took them. It seems like a lot of work just to get some water. Oh, so they weren't looking for water. They were looking for answers. A long time ago, places like the one we're standing at right now made compass needles spin. And the people holding the compasses needed to know why. So they dug. Did they find what they were looking for? No, they didn't. The reason I wanted you to see this, Desmond, is because Charles Widmore is not interested in answers. He's only interested in power. And he brought you back to this island so that you could help him find what he's looking for. After all, this isn't the only one. And that's the reason you wanted me to see this. Why aren't you afraid? Excuse me. You're out here, in the middle of the jungle, with me. Not a person on Earth even knows you're here. Why aren't you afraid? What is the point in being afraid?
4: think they just took his scream from last episode and added reverb onto it they're uh, like h-i-c you don't need to do it again we'll just we'll just loop it ah, ah! Ah! it's almost like a more aggressive version of what ben does when he's on the camel it's a <laughs> yeah ah!
3: wow that camel starts <laughs> blitzing after that oh
4: shit Some something- oh god
3: something's gotta be going on unbelievable um Man, uh you know, th- who needs Saul when you've got John Loki to drill into our heads how much of a metaphor this is, right? Uh, people came to places like these to find answers, but they never found what they were looking for, those suckers. Mm-hmm. You talking to me? Who are you talking exactly. to, John Loki? You talking to me?
4: Yeah. Also, uh, a little bit of, of that, too, and like, well, how deep do you think it goes? Right. Uh, that's where also I think that the Desmond is a child stuff comes to mind for me of like, how old is this? Well, very
3: old. That mm-hmm. sounds like something, you know, a, a five-year-old kid would ask in response. Yes. Um, I, don't, I mean, I don't mind that conceptually. And I certainly think when I, you know, we talk about this uh, for me, like when I recommend Lost to people, I'm like, don't worry about the answers care about the characters in the story and the, the journey and the location and the music and the acting and all that stuff. And that's the stuff. Uh, yeah. And so this idea here of uh, they went looking for answers and they never found it. And sort of the unspoken piece of that being like, and shame on them looking for the wrong yep. thing um i get that that's fine but it also does feel a little contrary to a lot of the the energy around the show up to that point it almost feels like a little bit of a late arrival uh yeah, and so and
4: there's there's also a little bit of confusion here so we're like again at this point we on the podcast, I've sort of discerned what side Charles Widmore's on, but now John Loki's confusing the waters by being like, no, but Charles Widmore only wants power, uh, when that very much isn't true. At Widmore's least what place in this to. is
3: just so wobbly.
4: Yeah, it really is. It's like, he is technically on the same side as 815, but is still Widmore at the end of the day, so, like, very much not so, and you do wonder, maybe he was coming to the island to get its power in a manner of speaking it's 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 odd and obviously this is i think i think no matter what this is a con by loki's part right to be like oh uh you know you want to work with me cuz doesn't charles winmore suck yeah you want to be part of my crew cuz we hate charles winmore in fact we want to kill charles winmore one day
3: yeah It's just very strange. Um, But I do love just getting a classic sort of like that Terry O'Quinn, John Lockean wisdom, even if it's not actually him. It's just kind of a pleasure to watch the scene is sort of my my feeling on it.
4: I like the moment where a really fun Desmond moment of enlightenment, right? Again, another reason why kids are often like the sanest among us of, you know, what's the point in being afraid? And you see John Locke makes a look of confusion. That Jen transitions to a smile of like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to throw
3: you down a well. Well, yeah, I think uh, of Desmond saying to the smoke monster, what's the point of being afraid? Is like Jacob saying to Ben, what about you? That (laughs) only ends one way. I mean, I guess two ways. Either you get stabbed or you get thrown down a well. But either way, it ends in violence. You know, it ends in a violent response.
4: Yeah, so Desmond's going to hang out down there for what? A couple episodes until Psyche comes and (laughs) finds him?
3: He... Desmond will be down the well effectively for the rest of Lost until the finale and all the sideways stuff. Yeah, Uh, he will you know, they will go looking for him uh, in uh, what they died for, but they won't find him there. Uh, and he will be uh, uh, seen again outside. We, we will see him in the well next week. Yes, then when, we won't...
4: Sa- when Saeed is, is sent to sort of finish the job yes. and he
3: relents. We will see him there. We will not see him in the candidate uh, outside of the sideways. We will not see him in uh, what they died for outside of the sideways. And then we will see him again on his own two feet in the end. Otherwise, Which, he's again, not... down down the hatch goes Desmond once again, <laughs> subterranean Desmond.
4: Which I guess I like that symbology, but like you said, it still does bring to mind, especially when we see the plan, I guess, be completed next episode, why the plan was to do that, to throw Desmond, because again, he was very much willing to go along with JL as the smoke monster here. If you have to kill him off, surely there are more ceremonious ways to do so and guarantee a clean victory than throwing him down a well and letting Saeed finish him off.
3: I don't know. I, maybe it's because of his electromagnetic stuff that maybe the monster is nervous to touch him too much. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure why he doesn't just kill him. I don't think his name is on a wall. uh not- so um i don't really know he probably should have just killed desmond uh and spared himself some agony uh anyway so that's what happens john loki comes back and when he comes back you know sawyer's doing a lot where where were you uh and and like at this point it's clear that the trust has dissolved between these guys so i don't know why they're both playing along anymore Um, Yeah, poor,
4: poor sawyer right like he was instituted as this recruit in uh in recon right to like go on this mission site has very clearly usurped him you know Jin was sent on it was was sort of being recruited as well Kate was being talked to now uh, Desmond sort of leapfrogged him and so Sawyer's so like just give, please give me something to do in yeah. this show right now I'm doing nothing at the moment
3: yep 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 um, and so in walks Hurley and Hurley has figured out how to break the ice with the smoke monster let's listen in
6: um hey
5: Hello, here you go I don't know who you are dude what you want we have to talk to you
6: we
5: other people with me the thing is you got weapons and we got weapons and I don't want anyone to get hurt or killed. So, we're not going to do anything. I want you to worry that you're not going to do anything either. You have my word. Okay, guys. Come on out. Hello, Jack.
4: Drop your buffs. Yeah,
3: we are merged. Drop uh,
4: the pieces of Alana still on you.
3: It's a cool scene. I like it. I love Hurley stepping up, and I love the man in black offering the knife to Hurley. Uh I just think that the whole the whole vibe, like this is this is kind of what you're waiting for. Whether or not they connect it all the way uh for the next couple of episodes is is taste dependent, but you know, why are why did we take so long to intermingle? You know, we want that's, we that's want these flavors thing. together. So once the flavors are together, like it's great. This is great. This is really fun. This is a cool scene of getting everybody together, but could have done this four episodes ago.
4: Completely agree. It, it's one of these moments that I agree is really satisfying, especially the moment, just the sequence of Jack seeing Kate smiling at her and then it cutting to John Loki of like, oh yeah, these two guys have never seen each other, right? The last time Jack saw John Locke, was all the way back in the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. Here he is now wearing a, a a man wearing his clothing, essentially. I think now in retrospect, especially looking upon some of those episodes that came about since Dr. Linus, I think it took too long. Yeah. Uh, I think it absolutely did. I think there is some sort of recut, not recon, of the intervening five or so episodes that has these two groups coming together Sooner to give some more time to some of these dynamics or just shorten the season up a little bit. Doesn't take away, like you said, from like the cool climactic aspects. Arguably I think this should have been the ending over the next scene we're gonna talk about.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we will talk more about the aftermath of all of these people coming together next week. So I think we can just drive straight ahead for the sideways where Desmond's at the school where Dr. Linus works and substitute teacher John Locke. And he's looking at John Locke and Dr. Linus rolls up. Uh, creeps smell their own kind, I guess. (laughs) Uh, what if
4: this is the moment? this This is how Ben woke up. He's like, he sees another creep, and like he sees a montage of like all the times he was creepy da, to Julian and other
3: da, people. Da, yeah, exactly. Dude, uh, whoa. Whoa. Oh, my God. It's another creep. My constant. Uh, Ben's like, get out of here, you creep. And Desmond's yeah, like, stop, all right. Stop
4: perving around this
3: high school, dude. Yeah, no more pervs. Uh, and so Desmond's like, all right, I'll leave. And he leaves by driving straight into John Locke and just fully bodies John Locke uh the, the body just goes flying it is uh physically harrowing
4: it's physically harrowing but i will admit the shot right before he gets hit is laughable um, <laughs> particularly the expression on terry Quinn's face which is no expression if you don't remember it's a shot where the camera closes in on him to mimic the car terry Quinn puts his arms up but has no expression on his face whatsoever, like you might when you're about to get hit by a car. He somehow physically reacts, but his face does not.
3: Yeah, uh, but then he's just twitching on the ground and not in terms of live streaming. And it is, uh, brutal. It's just like a horrible thing. It's kind of miraculous that he makes it out of the hospital next week. Or is it, uh, the candidate where he gets out? Either Mm -hmm. way, I mean, he pulls through, uh, with flying colors. Yeah. He got Uh,
4: hit by a car at a pretty fair speed, I would say. I
3: guess if you're going to get hit by a car at that speed, you want to already be dead. You want to already be a (laughs) Uh, ghost and maybe that lessens the impact to a certain extent.
4: A good point is... John Locke quite literally felt half the pain that someone else might due to his circumstances. Yes,
3: I think that's right. All right, so that is how everybody loves Hugo ends. What a strange ending! It's for a really this weird ending. Yeah. Uh, I
4: guess it's, it's again supposed to like move forward, like oh man, things are getting intense in the Flash sideways. But I feel like. You said the anticipation for the merging of the groups is finally here. I think it stands up on its own that we don't necessarily need the big shock of, oh my god, is Locke dead? Uh, Even though he technically is already dead.
3: Yeah, All right. So, we are going to rate this episode on a scale of 0 to 4.2 fish biscuits when we come back. We also have a little (laughs) bit of feedback to get through. Plus, the MVP, LVPs. We'll throw it to our sponsors real quick and get to it when we get back. Hang tight. All right, Mike, let us rate this episode. Everybody Loves Hugo, which is an episode I mostly really enjoy, and I think that there are a lot of great scenes, and I think I was higher on it even last week than I was this week when I revisited it uh, again during the live watch, and even talking some of it through and getting re-triggered by the Alana stuff. Um, I look at some of the other episodes from across this season, and it's for me, it's, it's certainly a lot better than some of the really uh, low-tiered, low-ranked episodes right. of the season. Just, like, not even close. Um, but it's, I, ha- I have to be just, like, honest to what is on screen, despite, you know, my heart telling me that it's a, a hurly episode, and I tend to really, really love those episodes, that while there are good things in this one, I think it's not quite as good as I want it to be. And there are some mistakes that are not necessarily catastrophic is such a big word. But I think things in here that I don't understand why they are here. So I'm going to give it a three and a half uh, is where I'm going to land. I had it higher before. But it can't be as high as Happily Ever After, I don't think, which I gave a 3.8. And it's not quite as good as, you know, the emotional high of Dr. Linus even. So it's just like a smidge below that for me. Gave it a 3.5.
4: Yeah, uh, I am sort of in the same range as you. I gave it a 3.2, which is actually the same score I gave Sundown. I think we actually both gave the same scores to Sundown. And honestly, that feels right of, like, there are a couple of really good pieces, but then there are a lot of things that I don't necessarily care for. Uh, I sort of compared it back to the episode of the exact opposite name, Everybody Hates Hugo, which I gave a 3.1. And I think I like this episode slightly more because, like you said, there are some character-rich scenes that I enjoy. Uh, but I would not say there's anything that I'm, like, over-the-top in love with, like some of the stuff I experienced in, like, Abaterno and even some stuff in Happily Ever After. I think the On Island stuff, uh, can border on interesting with the Michael and Hurley stuff to just unpalatable with the Alana stuff and everything else in between. Like, everything with John Loki and Desmond is, I guess, interesting, but like not something that necessarily piques my attention, especially after that Desmond powerhouse episode. And everybody loves Hugo. And on that note, I think that the sideways, it's a little bit of a come down, obviously, from I mean, from Happily Ever After. It's a little bit of a come down. I think it's, it's good, but I think as we talked about before, I still don't know how to sit with like, Hurley's wake-up moment being Libby, I'm happy for him. Uh, but it's such a, a thing from so long ago that I, I do wonder, you know, is it really not hitting home because it's been so long since we've really encountered that part of Hurley's life, as we'll talk about with Said and Shannon. So I think I like this a smidge more than everybody loves, or everybody hates Hugo. So that gets a 3.2 from me overall. So th- again, like, in my good episode tier... Uh, Certainly better than, as I mentioned before, about half the episodes in season six so far. I think that's where it's going to rank, right? Like right at the top of the bottom half?
3: It is, uh, yeah, it's right at the top of the bottom half. Right now it lands in seven with a 3.5 average from the uh, audience gives it a 3.41. So it is uh, just ahead of Sundown. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's right in that spot between Sundown and Dr. Linus, which I think is ultimately... Maybe, yeah. I don't know, if it, if it, that feels mostly right. I don't know, ranking the final season is a little tricky. It, uh, it's
4: weird because each episode, it's almost like, again, back to season one, where I felt like each episode was almost like of its own different quality. Like, there is a through line throughout, but each episode feels so distinctly different that it's tough to rank them against each other. Also, I will give a shout out to uh Daniel Brennan who gave Everybody Loves Hugo a four point two. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. If this episode makes you feel good things, go ahead, go Listen,
3: through with it. Uh, you know, Down Servo was really high on it as well. We had a lot of people who were really high on it. Uh, you know, three point eights, three point sevens, uh it gets as low as a what's the lowest that it goes at two point eight. Two point eight. Yeah. So I mean, like, it's at least, you know, a base hit, the episode. It's not a disaster. It has maybe a disastrous thing happen, uh, but you know, is the is the episode itself a full on disaster? I would say no, definitely not. No. I would say that the episode is much more good than bad. And as somebody who you know swears up and down uh, fealty to Trisha Tanaka is dead, I am never going to be the person who says that uh, you know undying fealty to a Hurley episode is wrong. Uh, do that, whichever one it is for you. If it's Everybody Loves Hugo, that's great. Um, let's do some feedback, Mike. Uh, some of it we actually already did uh, throughout the podcast, but we've got a few others that we did not get into, such as this from Eric Divestein The Birthday King, who says that killing Alana in Arstein fashion is not great, and I won't elaborate on it because I'm sure you'll be discussing it in detail anyway. However, if there's a redeeming element of it, perhaps it's that it proved the island's endorsement and support of Hurley's plan. Hurley insisted that they should not blow up the plane, but Alana wouldn't change course, so the island blew her up. I disagree with Ben's statement that the island killed her because it was done with her. I think it killed her because she opposed the island's will.
4: I mean, yeah, I I suppose so. It's, it's weird to like have the island represented because again, we thought that was mostly through Jacob, and Jacob is now sort of gone. I guess it makes sense that you know Alana dies essentially professing this idea, and so you'd assume like, well, she blew up, and she was talking about how good of an idea it was, so maybe it isn't it's just i think for me tough to separate what the island truly wants considering that i think its greatest envoy is not necessarily speaking on its behalf a lot of the time
3: yeah um ben martell in response to the story about the uh the kitsis and horowitz appearance in wisconsin madison um had asked us can we wreck kind of reason why alana would have made things too easy for the characters
4: I mean, you mentioned it before, like, is it just as easy as she's on the sub, she makes the the sacrifice play and takes the bomb, and that makes things, quote-unquote, too easy for them?
3: Yeah, or if she knows a lot via Jacob about the island, maybe there are just, you know, cheat codes that she can arm everybody with, but I don't know. They're fighting the smoke monster. We don't want to give them an edge. You don't want to give them proton packs, you know? <laughs> like, uh, I think maybe you do. You know, if we're going to... We don't have to, you know, go all the way into giving them, uh, like, the Hearst, the, the Ecto-1 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but give them some proton packs if Alana knows where those are. Like, if she yeah, knows I- where the trap door is within the aero station, hell yeah! Let's see that.
4: That's the thing, is that uh, I guess they're sort of... Explanation with that is that they wanted the characters to sort of figure out things on their own, but they but don't the really, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't really. Jacob is gonna appear from beyond the grave to be like, No, go to this place, drink this water. Uh, so I think like it, it, it doesn't not make sense to have Alana there if the purpose is like, Well, we don't want to handhold these characters. I much rather have that than have them sit around for more episodes trying to figure out what to do,
3: yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that there was more to do with the character. Even in what they died for, you know, she could make the choice that now is the time to have Jacob show up one last time because she has the ashes and she uh, puts them in the fire, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she has to sacrifice the final vestige of being able to see this father figure so that the candidates can can hear from the source and find out what it is they have to do. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, there was just more to do. There was definitely more to do with the character if they were going to have her on the show at all. Um, it was just, you know, I don't know. Whatever. I'm sour. I'm sour. I'm salty about <laughs> it. Uh, Dallin Servo had asked us, where's David Reyes in the Flash Sideways? I think we answered that question. Uh, and Dallin had also written in and asked, did the show miss an opportunity to give us a definitive answer answer for why libby was in the mental hospital we easily could have had the doctor explain why she was there oh yeah dr brooks if you're already going to be taking bribes can you please breach uh doctor patient (laughs) confidentiality as well yeah
4: in for a penny in for a pound and he has many many pennies
3: um we also got an additional five dudes in this episode which is low for a hurley episode according to dalen 285 dudes now I'm actually doubting if we're going to get to 300 by the end. I know.
4: Because we only have, what, four episodes left?
3: We have The Last Recruit, The Last Recruit, The Candidate, What They Died For, The End, and The New Man in Charge, if we're counting oh, yeah, oh, that. Oh, yeah,
4: New Man in Charge, I guess that does count. That, yes. that could help bring it up. Because, yeah, I don't, I can't remember. Because Hurley is now, his role in The Flash Sideways is going to be, like, uh, you know, the money man to help Desmond succeed in his stuff. But I don't remember that much stuff we see from him uh, he's like, he's not going to be as uh, happy to throw dudes out there, I think, in the episodes to come on Island as well. So, yeah, it might be it might be a bit of a horse race here in the finish.
3: Um, all right. Let's do the 23 points. Mike, I've got three MVPs this week. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. We are all over the place on the MVPs. Um, I'm I'm going to start with Hurley. Hurley's great. Everybody yeah. loves Hugo. What more do you want me to say?
4: It's a great episode for Hurley. It's him taking charge as well as him waking up. Uh, and I'm going to give a point to the person who wakes him up, much like I did with Charlie last week. I'm going to give a point to Libby here. Really great to see Cynthia Watros back to, to reprise her role. I think she has great scenes with Jorge Garcia. And she is the one to push Hurley to wake up, which is a seminal moment for the
3: character. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give an MVP point to Michael. The plant. Uh, the ghost plant, the haunted forest that is Michael Dawson. Um, I really love seeing him back on this show. I think that they do a good job with him here. I think that they really do. I think that his scene with Hurley is really touching. It really moved me this time. Even just listening to it again on the podcast today. I think he's a character that gets maligned in the fandom quite a bit. It's not totally unwarranted because of what he does is very, very bad. <laughs> It's very, 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 very bad. But can you not tell that the man feels awful about it has he not suffered uh you know the whole thing is really 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 rough uh and Harold Perrineau is just great and he was one of the first easy ins on Lost for me in the first Mm. place you know um having loved him so dearly from Oz and other projects that Harold Perrineau was was the actor who was the actor for me on Lost coming into this show in many many real ways so for his final appearance I would feel uh remiss if I did not give him an MVP point
4: Yes, plants out for you, yes. Michael. Uh, I'm going to give a point here. I was originally going to, to give one to Richard Alpert for calling Hurley out on his shit, but you know what? I'm going to give one to Jack, because let's continue on the train here of like Jack just being like a generally good dude in this episode. And I really like that therapy scene for him, where he vocalized how he realized that he does actually need to do what Boone told him to do all those years ago and learn to let go and stop trying to fix things. And the fact that he's willing to stick with Hurley and go with his gut no matter... You know, he trusted Hurley when Hurley doesn't even trust himself, I think is a, a super good friend move. So I'm going to continue to throw the points onto Jack here.
3: Uh, I have one final MVP point, And considering everything I've said on this podcast already, I don't think it should come as a surprise. I'm going to give it to Alana in her death episode. It's not her fault. It's not your fault, Alana. This one's not on you. Uh, what a what a change in my uh, etiquette for what happens when people die on the show. But I can't do it. I can't do it to Alana. She's been through enough. I think that she's so nice to Hurley at the start of the episode. She was very effective in many, many ways along the way. And I think that there was more to do. And I think that was a really, really uh, cheap uh, and not in the Ryan Aiken sense way of <laughs> sending Alana off into the to the great graveyard in that lost sky. So Alana gets an MVP point from me.
4: Do you think Alana was able to move on or do you think she's a whisper as well?
3: Probably a ghost. Uh, you blow up, you're a ghost.
4: Yeah, to be like, what? Why did you, Jacob, why did you tell us to do that if that's not what you wanted and us to do? he's just like,
3: oh, sorry. Uh. So we should note
4: here, uh, Alana has two MVP points because I believe she did get one in Dr. Linus as well. And considering, I think she did get a couple in season five too. Like Alana, despite being a fairly, I would say maligned character in the spectrum of loss, is going to make a good handful of points here uh, in DTH at the end of the day.
3: Good for her. Well-deserved totally deserved absolutely
4: speaking of those who deserve it in a different way let's go to the lvps i've got three you've got two i gotta start with this one it sucks to do after last episode i'm giving one to desmond yeah double
3: tap i'm doing one on desmond as well Well,
4: (laughs) i think two is appropriate because i think one should be for sideways desmond for hitting a man with his car Uh, and the other one should be with on island desmond for being so supple to have john loki throw him down a well
3: yeah, he got, he got, he got tricked. Uh, he got, he got too close to the sun, uh, Desmond did. No, uh, sun,
4: sun just showed up then he was, down, after he was down the that's well, right. unfortunately. He got
3: too close to the well. Oh, well. <laughs> A different uh, source of light, maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh,
4: so, I'm going to give my second point here. Uh, I'm going to give one to Dr. Brooks. Double tap. Double tap Dr. Brooks. Yeah, uh, whatever, sucks. you know,
3: just few, few, few options in this episode, and I don't like them.
4: Yeah, uh, he and he also like is, uh, gets allows himself to get bought. Uh, Hurley could have gone and like stabbed Libby, and that would the blood would have literally been on Doctor Brooks' hand for letting this guy pay his way into doing that thing. And he so, would have
3: a uh, hundred thousand dollars from Hurley to go towards his legal defense.
4: Exactly, which would probably be that stupid guy from the first part of season five, whatever yes. his name was, Dan something. Yes, uh, I'm going to give my last point. I don't know if it's controversial. I, I, Dan Norton, that's what yeah. it was. Uh, I'm giving I'm giving one to John Loki here it was i couldn't do
3: it i couldn't do it because at least john loki like successfully conned desmond into going to the well uh i thought about it but also the
4: con doesn't make a lot of sense uh and also i'm i maybe it's also a residual lvp point for the fact that he's literally just been sitting there for like five episodes at this point he briefly visited hydra island and then he came back but maybe it's also my built my pent-up frustration sawyer style of like what are we doing yeah but you're just sitting there carving a stick just do something. You were you're a cool smoke monster. Do something, please.
3: Yeah, I totally hear that. I mean, the 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 bottom is falling out on the John Loki stuff at this point. Uh, the best of John Loki is behind us for sure. It's just not even a question. Um, all right, so that is uh, so with those scores. I'm trying to see what are some of the meaningful shifts. Jack is still in the lead. Jack has a but, but six MVPs. I-
4: yeah, because Hurley's at five. I'm assuming Hurley's probably going to net, a, if we do MVP LVPs for the man behind the curtain, you've got to imagine Hurley nets a fair amount of them. Uh, so there is a chance we might get a little bit of an overtake at the end here, but yeah, Jack continues to be in lead here, while Smokey continues to fall. He is now tied with the man he now inhabits, John Locke, with three points for the season. Yeah,
3: I think he's going to continue to fall much as he does at the end of <laughs> the show. Um, potentially, as soon as next week, we will get some smoky demerits as we get into the last recruit uh a bit of a forgettable episode of lost but one that i've always enjoyed uh i think i have to stop say like stop short of saying this is a great episode this is an incredible episode but i think it's an underrated episode because people just forget it it is uh what i think you will call something of a nothing burger mike um and is definitely like chess pieces but i love seeing my people interacting with each other uh and you get that in this one and it's been uh, way too long since we've seen these characters interact with one another. So it scratches a certain itch for me. It's got an adventure vibe to it. A lot of moving, uh, you know, bits and pieces as they're trying everybody to, to get the hell out of here, conflicting agendas. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff, but there's also some stupid stuff in The Last Recruit as well. Uh, but I have a personal attachment to it. Uh, this was uh, when I was covering the show for MTV News at the time. Um, I was able to, uh, to do like a live blog for The Last Recruit for ABC. PC.com. Oh wow. Uh, so this was this will always be an episode. This was like the closest to the sun that I flew, uh, and <laughs> the gin that I flew uh with lost in any kind of a professional capacity was like during these days of the show, uh where I got to do some fun stuff for MTV. So the last recruit's gonna be a special one for me personally. I don't mm. think it'll totally uh you know impact my ratings there. Like I'm not gonna be a psycho and give it a 4.2, uh, but I uh, you know, maybe we'll be a little higher on it than than other people but I think it's a fun one. We'll talk about it next week. We will be watching that on November 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the Post Show Recaps patron campus. Sign up at patreon.com slash recaps at the $5 level by the morning of November 29th, and you will be able to watch the episode alongside Mike, myself, and plenty of other hatchlings. Always a really, really fun time on those Monday night live watches. Uh, Get your feedback in as well by November 30th. We are recording on December 1st, and Mike, Uh, We are entering the final month of watching episodes of Lost uh, for this rewatch, which is insanity.
4: Yeah, this is truly wild. It's one of those things that doesn't become a reality until you reach certain milestones. We're in it. Yeah. Yeah. For some people, it might have been starting season six. Maybe it's crossing the threshold of something like Abaterno. But yeah, we I mean, I, I marked it beforehand. We have four episodes and then the new man in charge. And then that's it for this watch through. It is wild to think about that this is finale month for down the hatch. And I'm nervous and I'm scared. Uh, you know, like you said, this episode is a transition into like a, a market uh era to close out the season. And I'm excited to see what that is and no matter what the quality of episode much like today we're gonna have a fun time talking about it it's yes. just sad that we're gonna have you know only four or five more opportunities to talk about these specific episodes
3: wow all right well we're ah! <laughs> ah! we're so close we're so close it's gonna be really really fun getting into the home stretch here we're at the merge mike and so uh it's all uh it's all forward momentum from here so next week is the last recruit uh get your feedback in your 4.2 fish biscuits as well down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com we would love to hear from you, and we would love to get those ratings as we are looking to do some fun stuff on the other side of the rewatch. So please send all of that in. Mike Bloom, anything else?
4: Yeah, so a few things going on here over on show Recaps. Uh, the Bloom Files, we took a brief hiatus last week because uh, your boy got inoculated, much like Desmond Hume, and that knocked me on my butt, much like Desmond Hume. Felt like I got knocked down a well for a little bit, but... Ah! Exactly. We are back this week, uh, Angela and myself, talking about the first two episodes of Season 8 with John Doggett, a.k.a. Robert Patrick, a.k.a. I forget his name, but Sawyer's partner who sells him out in Outlaws uh, is appearing on The X-Files, so we're going to break that down. And I forgot to plug this last week, but I think it's still fairly evergreen. Uh, So a new season of Star Trek Discovery is here, snuck up on us a little bit. Premiered November 18th on Paramount+. And uh, myself and Jessica Lees, just to say it off the top here, or at the bottom, I suppose, uh, we're doing periodic coverage of that, not weekly, but probably every few weeks or so, just due to Jess's schedule uh, and our own respective bandwidths. Jess wasn't around last week to cover the premiere, but we wanted to bring you something. So I got together with... A seminal member of the DTH team behind the scenes, this ship would not run in the way that it does without this man, Brendan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Join me, who's a huge Trekkie in his own right, huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan, everything stars, and Brendan is a star himself. Uh, we talked about the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, which uh, actually has some recent news to it. Uh, there was some weird shadiness going on last week, where they like announced the day before Star Trek premiered that it wouldn't air anywhere except paramount plus in the united states and some networks in canada but then they said like okay we heard you loud and clear you understandably complain so it's coming back now so now if you're an international viewer you can watch along and watch what we're doing uh josh though if i'm sending the plugs over to you i am so excited with a lot of the recent stuff that you have been bringing to post-show recaps uh mainly for me it's been like checking out your coverage of the wheel of time yeah uh, Between Hawkeye, which I've only watched one episode of the Frozen
3: Donkey Wheel of Time.
4: Exactly. uh, Between Hawkeye uh, or Hurley Bird Eye, which is, uh, I've only watched one episode of it, but I supremely (laughs) love it. And especially, especially, your new Everything is Super adjacent patron-only podcast, or I guess Patreon-only podcast. You can explain a little bit of that uh, extra- with a capital X for your X-Men, the animated series rewatch. I remember very clearly one of the first action figures I owned was a Magneto where you push a little switch on his back and some sparks rub together to try to like light up the middle of his chest. I have that fondly uh it planted into my memory so i'm excited to to take a jog down memory lane with you and kevin
3: yeah i mean another reason to consider uh supporting show recaps on patreon is we did just launch this new podcast extra which is a companion to the everything is super podcast which is our superhero spot every week uh where we're going to be watching the x-men animated series and talking about other superhero shenanigans that we don't have time for in the main everything is super podcast hence the extra uh and you can get it in your podcast feed if you are a patron of post show recap if you are not a patron of Post Show Recaps, you just got to go to patreon.com slash Recaps and press play on the podcast on the website. You can listen to it for free. That's the way to do it. You don't get it in your podcast feed, but we will be posting it for free on the website every single week. Uh, it's super casual, really conversational. We're not doing any editing on it. It's just very, very light and fluffy and bantery and really fun talking about a, a show that apparently is very near and dear to your heart, Mike, which is really cool to hear yeah. uh, and is a show that i adored as a kid uh so kevin and i are gonna be talking about x-men on the extra podcast
4: and i should also mention uh i was on posho recaps theater this past week i i slipped my mind because it technically hasn't come out yet but i got to join grayson and ariel to talk about ghostbusters afterlife which you actually uh recently invoked josh on this podcast a new film that came out uh sort of like A spiritual sequel to Ghostbusters 1 slash Ghostbusters 2. Uh, We had a really fun time talking about it. I would say overall, it was a really unexpected movie for me in many ways. So if you want to hear a bit about it, uh, we do a spoiler free and then a spoiler failed talk. So be sure to, to check that out. Also on Post Show Recaps, in addition to like the butt ton of other stuff we're doing
3: there's just so much stuff so just check it out it, on post show recaps there's so many things it's in the main feed most of these shows have their own feeds as well so just poke around see what you like listen to the stuff and uh yeah we're doing all the things it's great that you talked about ghostbusters this week during the same episode where we're dealing with ghosts on lost mike
4: yes uh, uh, though i wish hurley did pull out a proton pack and just sucked up michael could you imagine if that's how that scene ended? like is there something horrible. you do for me like yes yeah, set the trap Put me uh, out of my misery. I would
3: have taken his Tyrannosaurus Rex trophy away at that point. We do want to thank everybody again for voting for us uh, and giving yeah. us that award yeah. at the start of the you show. You know what?
4: This is Thanksgiving. So, like, we are thankful in many ways. And one of them is, of course, the voting you gave us to give us. What what is the award benefactor of the year? Yeah. Uh, at this fictional museum. It's we're just so, so nice of it. you.
3: It's so nice of you, and we're so grateful for you. And we hope that we have uh, we will live up to the honorific that you have bestowed upon us. We will be back next week talking more Lost. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye.
0: 64 48 61 48 8 60 48 61 48 60 48 61 60 48
6: 61 48 60 48 61 48 60